This episode of the Disney Film Project podcast is brought to you by touringplans.com. It is the one-stop shop on the internet for figuring out how you are going to plan your Disney vacation, Disneyland or Disney World, it doesn't matter. Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, you want to figure out how to get there and not wait in line? This is how you do it, touringplans.com. Disneyland, you're trying to figure out how to get out there and how to navigate all the cool new stuff like Cars Land and Buena Vista Street and all that great stuff without having to wait in line, touringplans.com. You can optimize your touring plans, check the crowd calendar, do all kinds of great stuff. Make sure you check that out over at touringplans.com. They're the sponsor of this week's episode of the Disney Film Project Podcast. Again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project podcast. This is the show where we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company: Marvel, Pixar, Lucasfilm, Disney Toon Studios, anything and everything that comes out from Disney and their associated companies are talked about here on this program and over at DisneyFilmProject.com. I'm Ryan Kilpatrick, host of the program, and along with the folks you're about to meet, we run DisneyFilmProject.com, where you can find Blu-ray and DVD reviews, show notes for this very show. You can find reviews going back all the way to the cartoons of the 1920s, so make sure you go and check out the content there at DisneyFilmProject.com. Joining me, as always, we have our fine film experts, who I know are chomping at the bit tonight. First of all, a man who has tried but has not yet created a worldwide artificial intelligence that has nearly destroyed the planet, Mr. Todd Perlmutter. How do you know? Oh, I know, sir. That's why you pay me that stipend every month. <laughs> also, I do use German scientists. I would expect no less. Uh, from all places that end in .com or .net, we have the one and only Miss Rachel Kolb. Hi. Um, I just wanted to give listeners a reminder that I'm still doing reviews of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. over on soundonsite.org. So click over and check those out. Um, at least this week's episode had some tie-in to Age of Ultron. There you go. Well, I forgot that word. By the time they listen to this, it'll be three weeks, weeks ago. <laughs> it'll be three weeks ago, yeah. Yes. Yes, but you can check you can check out I uh, like the wrap up of this season. Yes, there you so go. Yep. And that other voice you hear is Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, who's our producer, keeps things going on time, keeps the uh, the podcast edited and in in stream. So if you guys have somebody to thank for having consistent podcastery, uh, you can thank her. How are you, Cheryl? I'm doing good. I'm I'm all ahead in my editing. Almost I'm all, like one thing left to edit. Um. I do want to take responsibility that we do not have an IMAX view. I will take full responsibility <laughs> for taking we do not have IMAX review. <laughs> the only way I didn't see the movie, so. There you go. All right, so uh, we are coming at this probably after everybody else, but with very good reason, and that is Avengers Age of Ultron, the film, the sequel to the 2012 Avengers, the latest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the massive budgeted massive everything film uh the, the movie that's made all the money in the world uh at the time we record this it's over 700 million dollars worldwide by the time you listen to this it's probably going to be double that uh it is huge big massive motion picture that ha- that is packed with characters and plots and stuff and things and all those sorts of things and that apparently has inspired people to 
create all sorts of crazy things uh, to talk about that are not related to the movie and some that are related to the movie that they're just making up uh, as we've been over the last week or so as, as we saw the movie and as we've been emailing back and forth and texting back and forth, we're all sort of in amazement at some of the things that have come up out of this movie. And we'll talk about those briefly here and then we'll get into, uh, into the movie itself. Before we go briefly, if people don't like um, the time we have between movies, give us some input back. I'm just doing this because based upon input we've gotten in the past that we get, we haven't given enough time for people to see a movie. Right. So, um, it, but I know everyone has different ways. So, but if you think this is too much, give us a holler. Um, I'm willing to, you know, muck with muck with dates and, and muck things around, but. You know, I have right. to have feedback, and the last feedback I got was, we want more time. <laughs> yep. No, it's a very good point. So, yeah, we, we, we hold back on these so that people have time to go and, and catch the movies and, and all that. So if you guys would prefer that we come out with them very quickly, um, yeah, let Cheryl know. E- email us, DisneyFilmProjectGmail.com, or, or on Facebook or Twitter, you can let us know. All right, so we're going to discuss a, a few of the things that have come out of the movie uh, and try not to necessarily spoil them, but uh, be forewarned that... Uh, we are reviewing the movie, we are talking about the movie, and we're going to spoil everything. So if you if you haven't seen it, uh, we've given you three weeks, there's not much more we can do. Uh, so that, that warning aside. So one of the first ones that I wanted to talk about, and, and, and you guys jump in, and, and we're just going to briefly touch on these and kind of give our views, and then we're going to move on, uh, was the, I, I guess it's the most recent one, which is the critique of, of Black Widow in this movie as sort of an anti-feminist or something like that. I'm not, I, to be honest with you, I'm not really clear what the critique is because I don't agree with it, but um, basically saying that Black Widow needs a man to rescue her and therefore she's not an empowered superhero. Yeah, which is something that both uh, Scarlett Johansson and Mark Ruffalo have come out and said, no, that's not the case, especially Mark Ruffalo during his AMA. And also he's responded on Twitter to a lot of these allegations saying that actually, if anything, He's really the one being saved by Natasha. Yeah. Also, Asgard forbid, see what I did there? I do. That, that, that a woman should actually care for a man, despite that she's strong and powerful. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think there's a lot to, to, that, to what that is that we can get into once we get into the plot of the movie. I think some people, much like most of this movie, quite honestly, in the reviews that I've seen, people are actually misreading things. Like, they're projecting things from themselves into the movie that are not in the movie. The one disappointment uh, yeah. I have, and I'm going from the cartoon version here. Yeah. Um, so I'm going from somebody who I don't, I have not read the comics, I followed the cartoon, is that they went against having the relationship be between Hawkeye and Natasha, Black Widow, and moving it from... Hulk to Black Widow, and I personally was against that part of it. And uh, like, like, like people su- suggesting Black Widow should have a little movie, and people saying, "Well, she's not that popular." Okay, put her and Hawkeye in a movie together. They have to do something where they've talked about because they always like ramble about all these old missions or all these old things. Have them do something along that lines. Um, that would be kind of interesting, but. My my particular experience is I'm against it because I'm also I'm against it because I'm really against the way that they did the line that they went with her and, her and Hulk versus her and Hawkeye. Um, I have a quick note about Hawkeye. Um, 
there was also a criticism that Laura, who is Hawkeye's wife in the movie, um, that she is not a feminist character because she is, as people put it, quote-unquote, a housewife, which is completely crazy to me and is not a feminist notion. The whole idea behind feminism is that women can choose the life that they want. If they want to be a mother, if they want to stay at home, then that is good. If they want to work, that is good. If they want to, as Laura is doing, run an entire farm while pregnant, that's good. With two existing kids. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I think people are just sort of projecting things from themselves into the movie. Like like even you, Cheryl, I would say I would dis- I completely disagree with you, but it's okay because like I love the whole Black Widow Hulk thing and we'll talk more about that. But like everybody brings their own stuff to the movie. Like you're bringing that from the cartoon and I didn't I didn't bring that to it because I have I don't think I've seen that version of the cartoon. I think I saw the old one, but but like that's okay, right? Like that's what that's what movies are about is everybody interpreting their own things. I think where it gets tricky, uh, and this is something that Rachel and I talked about, is you know when people start bullying other people. Like Cheryl says, I don't like that relationship, and we can have a conversation about it. But there's definitely an aspect of people, you know, who who are taking those feminist critiques and other critiques of the movie uh, of pe- like people who don't like the movie, who do like the movie, getting attacked on on social media and things for for their opinions, and that's where I think we've gotten a little bit out of hand for this one, for sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, if I if I can talk about this just really briefly, um, if you disagree with the plot point in a movie, it is not okay to go to that creator on Twitter and send them death threats. Similarly, if you like a movie and someone else on Twitter doesn't, it is not okay to send that person death threats. I don't understand how people that are grown, functioning adults believe that this is okay behavior, but it is absolutely not. Can we just in general say it's not okay to send people death threats? (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Correct. But but the problem is that, that people tend to not think of these creators as being human beings. That they look at Joss Whedon and they see just... Avengers, that this is the place where Avengers came from, and they don't think, oh, this is a human being that actually sat down at you know, a computer and typed the script out and everything, that this is a person with their own life and own stuff going on. Everything that happened yeah. during the reality of this storyline in comic books cannot possibly fit even in seven or eight movies. Yeah. It can't. And it's, it's a very difficult job, what he does, to take it all and condense it down into something digestible. Now, I don't agree with every decision of his. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly okay. right. But it's it's that doesn't take away from it. I just look at it as a different way to tell the same thing. Okay. Like I don't even in I don't particularly like Smarmy Ultron at all, to be honest. I mean, oh, I'll say it up Smarmy Ultron. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Well, actually. <laughs> yeah. See, and I I don't because I don't it. It might as well have been any other supervillain because I think it took away from what Ultron is in comic books. Oh, see, I disagree with that, but we'll we'll talk about it. We'll yeah. talk about that. Um, my 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 point is, I think this is a societal thing, um, because I'll use the looting in in Maryland as an example. I mean, the neither of the four of us, under any circumstances, would think it is under any reasonable to go loot anywhere. And yet there are people who, th- who every time there's, there's an issue in society, they think it's a, it's a good idea to rob people who aren't even involved in the matter. 
Yeah, there's there's bad elements everywhere, right? Like who will take advantage of these sorts of things no matter what, right? And, and like like in that case, there's there's people who are legitimately unhappy and protesting and other people are going to take advantage of it. Same way here, there's people who have honest critiques of the film who and there are people who are taking advantage of it to express their worst impulses. And it's, I just think this is yeah. a way society unfortunately also Twitter is more um anonymous. Yes. Right. <laughs> So I think also right, and people who post online anonymously are chicken. <laughs> by the way, I want I yeah. want to say that up front. If you are an anonymous person on Twitter, I don't enjoy your company on Twitter. Going to say it up front. Unfollow me. But the point I want to make is that if you're saying not anybody's anonymous, I don't take their criticism seriously. I don't think any of us should, and I don't think creators should either. And I yeah. just, I mean, I understand that you know. It's. I mean, I'm, I probably. You know, I've seen. You know, comments of our of our thing, and I take that a little bit more seriously. But those people usually have a name attached to them. You know, right? If we start getting five anonymous things, it's like reviews and saying you guys stink. It's like, okay, well, put your name behind it and give me more than you guys stink. <laughs> Yeah, there's a diff- there's a difference between trashing something in a critique, and I think there's a lot of trashing going on. Um, not not just by the way of anonymous uh, people on on social media. I think there are legitimate critics who are just trashing this movie because they feel like it's the thing to do because Marvel's had so much success. But we can talk about those critiques as we go through the movie. So uh, I want to touch on a couple more quick things before we start talking through the the the, the, the plot and the things that we liked. So the second thing is uh, the Perceived lack is the way I'll put it because I know there's some disagreement even amongst the panel here uh, on this subject of Black Widow and, in my mind, Scarlet Witch merchandise, so female merchandise in the stores. So I know that uh, – because we've, we've had this conversation offline that, that Todd and Rachel, you guys disagree. So, Rachel, why don't you say what you think, and then, Todd, you say what you think, and then we'll go from there. Okay. I've got a few reasons why I think that it's really distressing that Black Widow is not represented more in the merchandise, both that she has like her own toys and also that she is included in the uh, group merchandise, such as the t-shirts that have the entire team on them. Um, Black Widow is a character who has been around since Iron Man 2. She is a founding member of the Avengers. People have been asking for a Black Widow and rumoring a Black Widow solo movie for her almost since she was introduced in the movies. Um, it, it doesn't make sense on that level. It also doesn't make sense on a sales level because if you look at something like, let's just say, the comic book industry, comics of late haven't sold all that well, but two of the best-selling comics out there right now are Kamala Khan, who is uh, Ms. Marvel, and Thor, in which a still unknown female character has now taken up the hammer of Thor. It doesn't make it it also it doesn't make sense to literally isolate half of the human population even possibly I, I don't know what the exact number is as far as males versus females in the world but it does not make sense to not provide something for that audience and also i just want to end this with a quick quote from joss himself because joss along with mark ruffalo and many other people have criticized the lack of merchandise um he said 
Toy makers will tell you they won't sell enough, and movie people will point to the two terrible superheroine movies that were made and say, you see, it can't be done. It's so stupid, and I'm hoping The Hunger Games will lead to a paradigm shift. It's frustrating to me that I don't see anyone developing one of these movies. My daughter watched The Avengers and was like, my favorite character uh, characters were the Black Widow and Maria Hill. And I thought, yeah, of course they are. I read a beautiful thing. Uh, I'm going to mispronounce this today, but Juno Diaz wrote, if you want to make a human being into a monster, deny them at the cultural level any reflection of themselves. By leaving Widow off of there, they're excluding the one founding member of the Avengers who is female and is a hero not only to little girls that are watching this movie, but also little boys too, because guess what? I like male characters. Guys, male fans can like female characters. Okay. It just, yeah. <laughs> Todd, what do you think? <laughs> Um, I think it's a problem with merchandising in general and how merchandising works and licensing works, okay? Because you have a company like Marvel, okay, or any company this happens with, okay? And they have stuff that they make. And if you look at the actual stuff that Marvel themselves makes, there is actually a fair distribution of the female characters across their products. But a lot of what people are seeing and saying this about, okay, are licensed from Marvel to make localized products for local store for other chains, like for example, the Target ad. Those those things. Well, Target's the one who ordered only the boy, the male characters. Okay, not Marvel said, "Hey, you can only take male characters because there are Black Widow doll, you know, figurines already." Okay, you can walk down the aisle in Target, and they're actually in Target. They didn't get in the commercial. Well, Target made that commercial, not Marvel, not the people who made the movie. So to I think it's a misperceived conception of what the problem actually is. Okay, so people jump on it because it's because they think there's a problem with feminism or they think it's sexist. And at the same time, I can tell you that this is just the way merchandising works. And merchandising is based on demographics, and those demographics take a long, long, long time to change once they are set. And because 12 years ago, people weren't buying Black Widow merchandise or Scarlet Witch merchandise. That's why today it, those stores are not buying them. Okay? And I'm sorry everybody's late to the game, but 10 years from now, it will be better. And I can tell you because I've been collecting this stuff for 40-plus years. Okay? And that's just how it works. And I've had to deal with it for a very long time. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in between the two of you guys. So I... I Actually, actually, I think you're both saying very similar things, quite honestly, um, which is that, like, I think we're all in agreement that there should be more. Uh, I think the issue is exactly what Todd's saying, is that the licensees are playing off of outdated notions, which I think is actually the same thing that you're saying, Rachel, which is, that, oh. you know, they're, they're just playing off of these bad ideas. Um, but Todd's 100% correct. I think if it were up, if it were strictly up to Marvel and they controlled what Hasbro or or some of those other people, or Target, for example, did, I think it would be a different story. Um, but they simply cash the checks, which, you know, they should probably say something more. But um, it, it's unfortunate. I just don't know that there's a whole lot that Marvel themselves can, can really do well, about it. there is something I wanted to point out that one of our friends did make a good point about. And Todd's going to probably slap me later for this. No, I don't care. Um, <laughs> is that the I new watch. Marvel store... Oh, the new superhero store in downtown Disney has it's most terrible. of the characters on the wall. Black Widow is not on that wall. Yeah. 
So that, I mean, and that's something that Marvel can control because Marvel yeah. and Disney, they own each other. I mean, yeah, no, you're right. Um, so that's the only comment I have. I mean, I, when I went shopping for merchandise for Todd, um, I, ran, I was in Kohl's. I ran into a display. There were at least two items on the, on the T-shirts. There, there were three different T-shirts that you texted me that had all of them on it. And the one that I picked actually had all the characters, including Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. Also, so, yeah. So it does. I, I mean, it does depend how hard you look. But, as well. but look, if yes. people want, look, anyone listening to this podcast right now, if you want help finding stuff for a particular character anywhere in the Marvel universe, let me know, and I will help you track it down. Well, I, I was going to say, I know someone then that I will be sending your way. <laughs> because <laughs> Actually, I, I a can, couple of dads. <laughs> I can tell you, I got in a conversation on Facebook the other day where someone claimed that, that they complained because they walked into Target and they walked into, I can't remember what the other store was, I think it was Walgreens, not Walgreens, Walmart, and they couldn't find anything. And Cheryl pointed out that, that she went to Kohl's and found like 18 shirts that all were awesome. But at the same time, um, I just sent her more than a dozen links in under three minutes that were all Black Widow. Including the best shirt on the planet, which is a cartoon Black Widow with super soakers, which is an amazing looking shirt, by the way. <laughs> and everyone who so wants awesome. a Black Widow shirt should own it. One last note when it comes to Black Widow. I do think it's interesting that she is a very central focus of this movie also. And that there was this question of underrepresentation in the merchandising. Not to mention, she has a new Tron suit. This is in my notes. Black Widow has a new Tron suit. Why wouldn't you want lots of merchandise with the awesome new Tron suit? Yeah, I'm actually a bigger Scarlet. I'm a big Scarlet Witch fan, and I wanted Scarlet Witch stuff too. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hear you. I, I think it's a, it's a. I think the issue is that the licensors and licensees are just behind the times, and and hopefully the outcry is going to help them uh, get get back ahead of time. So, right, right. and I also want go. to point out that the person who's the female character who is getting a movie is is Carol Danvers, and again, the reason is you go to Marvel.com/slash/characters. That lists by popularity, and she is number two after Spider-Man, and has been for quite some time. Yep. So, all right. So, uh, so we've we've covered those things. Um, I think the other things. So, first of all, so now we've got all that out of the way. Uh, I want to get you guys' initial impressions of the movie, and then I want to talk about the what the reviews are. So, so I'm going to start with Cheryl. Uh, what was just just. Initially, like, what was your impressions of the movie without going into the plot or any of that kind of stuff? Well, I was, I, I liked the movie, but I really, I, I don't, I didn't, I really didn't feel the two partner, the two parter part that this is supposed to be. Um, I find that I thought that was weird. Um, and the other thing is comparing it to again the cartoon, I wasn't going where I was thought it was going to go, without getting into too much detail. The cartoon is getting into a different. Um, area than than the movie did, so I was a little bit confused there. That why aren't we on the same? Yeah, why the animated series is telling the same plot, but it's telling it very differently. Yes, so, yeah, I, yeah. I didn't get that. I mean, if we're doing we're doing something cross lines, why aren't we doing it across lines? <laughs> Well, I think it's just different storytellers, right? Like, yeah, just, and yeah. it's like, if, if you're going to get the same story and told in the same way, why would you have the cartoon and then also the, the movies? It's like, just have one or the other. I agree. I prefer the animated Ultron more. So, so. Yeah. Um, Who plays the animated Ultron by... Does anyone uh, know? I don't know. Sure, my, I don't pay attention to that stuff. I don't know. <laughs> I'll, I'll look it up. Keep, keep going. I'll look it up. All right. Um, so, Rachel, what about you? What was your, just your initial impression of the movie? 
Um, I think I'm in the minority on this one, but I actually liked it better than the first Avengers. Like, it's probably in, like, it's at least in my top three of the Marvel movies so far. At, at the very least in my top five, if not my top three. All right. What about you, Todd? Um, I liked it a lot. Um, interesting thing is I thought it was way more of a comic book plot than the original one was. Oh, yeah. Okay, by a long shot. And so when I first saw it as a preview, because I saw it a few days before it was released, I was really concerned that it was not going to play as well in theaters because it was very much a difficult-to-follow plot. And I, that was where my concern lied. But I guess people are willing to slog off, you know, not a lot of character development in some cases, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, I'm I'm actually with, with Rachel on this one. So uh, everything – so what you just said actually is a perfect segue of the lack of character development and the um, and the hard-to-follow plot because I – so I saw it twice before we recorded. I'm probably going to go see it again. I tracked everything perfectly. Like I, when I first walked out of the movie, I will admit I was like, "Huh." Like I really enjoyed it and I had a great time watching it, but I was like, "Huh, I don't." And then as I started thinking through it, I was like, every criticism that I had as I started thinking about it, it went, "Well, that was there." Now, I can argue that there are a lot of places where it could have been done better, but I don't I didn't feel like the plot was hard to follow so much as it just it didn't spoon feed it, whereas I think the first one was almost took laborious pains to spoon feed you the story of these people coming together. This one says they're together, things are going to happen, and you're going to experience it in a similar way to what the characters do, but we will give you enough to follow the breadcrumbs through. And I think they do that, but perhaps in some places inelegantly would be be my main critique of it. But overall. Um, I really, really liked it. Like, like you said, Todd, it is the most comic book of any of the Marvel films so far. Yeah. Like, th- this is this felt like sitting down and reading a George Perez Avengers comic. Yeah, I, I, I think Roy Thomas would be proud. It, well, he, I mean, he probably is. I haven't read an interview about from him anyway. But I know he's not dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think he would really enjoy to see what happened with a character that he basically was responsible for turning into what we have today. So. Yeah, I agree. I I agree. So yeah, that so that was my that was the thing that that has like and, and give me a second here because I'm I like I've listened to a lot of podcast reviews and read a lot of reviews of the movie and I think people are taking out the frustration they have these serious art critics are taking out the frustrations that they have that these movies have become what dominates pop culture in our cinema. Like I don't think anybody can argue at this point that the Marvel films are not the biggest thing going in movies uh, and have been for the last, at least the last three years, probably longer than that. Well, a lot of these online publications will literally have at the ready whenever a Marvel movie comes out, there will be a think piece ready about is our superhero movies destroying our culture? Are they not destroying our culture? What does it mean for the future of cinema that these these superhero movies keep getting made? Are comic book movies dead? All of these are just always at the ready, and it's usually the same piece, just packaged in a different way. Yeah, and and my issue with this is that if if you had wanted to bring like that that piece that you're talking about of like our superhero movies dumbing down the culture, like let's talk about Transformers. Let's talk about like something else, <laughs> like. It, it, 
you know, if you want to have that conversation about Man of Steel, I'm right there with you. But this one or Winter Soldier or Guardians or some of the other films that, that Marvel's released, I mean, if you want to have that conversation about Thor The Dark World, I don't agree with it, but I can, know, I can understand why you're there. It, the thing is, I think people are taking Age of Ultron and they're seeing all the characters and admittedly, it is not, it is not the easiest plot to follow. This is a very dense movie. And I think they're seeing this as a factory-produced film and they're saying that it's it's all that is emblematic and wrong with cinema and culture in one. And I think that this is the wrong movie to do that with. It's just this this movie is there are problems with it. There's no two ways about it. Like there are some issues. It's so good. And when it's good, it's really, really good. And yeah. I think some of the things that are a problem are more from not not from factory filmmaking and that sort of a thing, but more from, I think, Joss Whedon's choices that he made. And you can argue whether he made those choices under the Marvel committee or creatively or what, and I think there's a little bit of both. But at the end of the day, like, he's not backing away from the movie. Like, as much as if you guys have read the interviews with him, he he's exhausted and he doesn't want anything to do with Marvel <laughs> for the next 10 years, I think. He at the end of the day, he's like, "This is still my movie, and I believe in what is in the movie." Yeah, yeah. And I also want to say there have been a lot of think pieces about whether or not Joss Whedon is really a feminist or really that he cares about female characters. And to anyone that actually gives real credence to that, you have a really short memory when it comes to Joss Whedon and yeah. the work that he has done, whether it be Buffy or Firefly, or Dollhouse, very underrated Dollhouse, but what he has done for female characters, to call him sexist is just, it's, it's wrong. <laughs> to call yeah. him sexist is sexist. Yes. <laughs> agreed, agreed. All right, so we've talked about all the crazy stuff that's come out of the movie. Uh, why don't we talk about the actual movie? Yes! Right. <laughs> so, uh, the movie, uh, in what I think was probably the most interesting and yet strange and i don't know it's it's just the, the a choice creatively that that um from everything i've read was in the very first draft of the script is the movie just starts with the avengers on the attack like showing them together as a unit um and when i first saw it the first time i saw it i went huh which i did a lot and then the second time through like it makes perfect sense because the entire film of the Avengers from 2012 is about building the team. And so therefore it makes sense that the sequel is the team is together and they operate perfectly together and they are on the attack. They are taking care of business out in the world. Well, perfectly, you know, yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Well, I, he makes a, Whedon makes a good point. I think it was Whedon. Maybe it was Feige. I don't know. Um, one of them made a point that um, the great thing about the Avengers is they're not meant to all be in the same room at the same time, and yet there they are. It's Whedon. Whedon. That's, okay. that's his whole approach to this team, yeah. is that these guys should not be working together. Yeah. Also, quick note about this opening scene. There is a shot that apparently Whedon put quite a bit of time and effort into to make it look just like something right out of a comic book visually. And it's the slow motion like hero pose, which anyone that's seen that opening scene knows what I'm talking about. But there was quite a bit of work put into that. Yeah. Note, I haven't seen that in a shirt yet. 
I think that's anti-Hulk right there. Yeah. He's the forefront character. Well, surpri- that surprises me. Is like I expected that to be a poster or something, and uh, I, it, apparently it wasn't. I don't know. I, I don't know. I expect. But anyway, the the whole the whole gist of this first part of the f- film is that the Avengers are taking down a Hydra base that is being run by Baron von Strucker, who's an old timey villain, uh, leader of Hydra, Captain America villain from the comic books. Um, this Baron, Baron von Strucker has no relation to that character from the comics. <laughs> no, not not enough of a relation, mind you. Yeah, no, like pretty much unrelated. But Other basically the- what, what you have to know is that they are taking down this Hydra base to get to Loki's scepter from the first movie. Yes. Uh, and so it's it's basically the Avengers are cleaning up the messes from the first movie and everything that's happened since. Right from the Hydra element from Captain America: Winter Soldier, and then Loki Scepter, which I've I've read some people like, well, how did Hydra get Loki Scepter? How did well, of course Hydra got Loki Scepter because Shield had it. Right, and they said they went through a whole episode of Shield where it was them raiding the the vault for all the things that Shield had had under lock and key. Right, but even if you don't watch Agents of Shield, and I don't think you, you, having watched that adds a ton to the movie, like. Think, think for two seconds. Bad guys stole something. Like it's not that hard. You know what I mean? Like that's the, that's one of the main critiques I've had from people um, that drives me insane about this movie is, oh well, I di- I couldn't follow how this guy did this or how this guy did that, and it's like because the movie. What Joss Whedon said is like, look, I wanted to make it almost like we're making a documentary. Like the camera is, and you'll see this because of all the different camera angles he uses. He's just shooting as though this action is happening in front of them, and he's not explaining things because that's not how life works. You know what I mean? Like, he's just picking it up as, here are the Avengers on this raid, and we're going. I admit, I didn't understand it at first blush, and then as I got through the movie, I was like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. I get it now. But this is a movie that's so dense and so packed with information and plot that – if you go into it like a typical popcorn movie and turning your brain off and just being like, woohoo, look at people explode and beat each other up, you're not going to understand it. On the note of, of uh, characters explaining their motivations or people just explaining what's going on in general, um, last night I went to see Rift Tracks uh, The Room, which is a movie in which all characters explain all of their actions and all of their motivations because otherwise it would make absolutely no sense. So just because a movie does that and absolutely spells it out doesn't make it a good movie. <laughs> Fair point. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, like, he took the almost the exact opposite tactic that he did in the first film, right? In the first film, we go through introductions character by character of all the characters, it takes a long time for that team to get together. It takes a long time for everybody to get in the same room. Uh, and we reveal a lot about everybody in that way. This one, he said, this one, the idea is since the last movie, these guys have started working together to clean up all this other stuff Hydra, you know, Loki Scepter, et cetera. Yeah. And they're doing it on their own without Shield. That's also the point that's made. Very important. Times. Yeah. Yes. Mm hmm. Right, because it's that's why I think Cap. If if you had to say that you have to see um, anything before seeing this, and I don't necessarily think you do, but it probably would help. If you saw the first Avengers and then Captain America: Winter Soldier, I think that's probably all you need. Yeah, yeah. I could see that. 
And so they're leading this raid, and Strucker is in the base, and he's rallying the troops, uh, and he has these two enhanced humans, uh, Pietro and Wanda, who he has been experimenting on. He and this other guy, Dr. List, who is from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show, but you don't need to know that to, to enjoy the movie. And all we know from, from this first shots in the movie is that these, they have been using the scepter to experiment on these two kids – uh, and they have given them powers. We don't know what their powers are, but that's the origin story. That's as much explanation as you're going to get as to those yeah. two. Yeah, and, and it's important to note that they're still up in the air as to whether they're even in humans or not, like Sky is on the show for people who watch the show, because they're first just named in humans this week that we're recording this in the show, right? This was yes. the week that they did that? In, yeah, in so that's, Agents that's, of S.H.I.E.L.D., yes. Well, that's the first time in the Marvel Universe, Marvel Cinematic Universe, you hear that word. Correct. Yeah, it's the okay. episode, uh, Scars is the name of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so it, it's important to note that we don't know what's going on with them. And there's a lot of question as to what's going on because there are the push is that there's not going to be mutants in the Cinematic Universe and there's not going to be mutants in comic books. We discussed this a couple of times before. So what although, are although they... based on based on the issues that were released literally the week that we're that we're talking about this that may or may not be true that's a whole rabbit hole we don't have to go down yeah yeah there Mar- Marvel definitely has a plan and it's I, I don't know that it's the plan that we thought it was but yeah well it's it's confusing because like why is Johnny Storm going to be an inhuman in the comic books we don't know right yeah. yeah there's a lot of stuff we don't know yet because Marvel's basically rebooting a lot of their their universe right. right now in comics so and and i did want to point out that one thing that came up between shield is that this week on shield it was revealed that the terrigen mists that converted sky could actually be crystallized and the color of the crystal is very similar to the thing that that was the gem inside the the loki scepter because i we're not there yet in the story so i didn't want to yeah. no so fine. i'm wondering if there's if there's not is not a connection that way like maybe it was the same stuff um, right. Who knows, right? Like, right. Yeah, we don't we don't know yet. But I mean, as far as these twins are concerned, and that's how they're referred to in the whole movie is the twins, um, Pietro and Wanda. They join the fight. They sort of sneak out because the Avengers are taking over, are are basically crushing the defenses of Hydra, um, and it, which leads to one of my favorite things is the guy, the the dude talking to Baron von Strucker, and he says, "Can we hold them?" And he says, "They're the Avengers." And he says, "But we have all these men." And he says, "But they're the Avengers." Avengers. <laughs> like I love that because it just gets across the whole point of like, no, they're the Avengers. Like, what do you? What else? Like for somebody who hasn't seen the other movies, that that tells you what you need to know. Like, no, these guys can't hold them off. And and honestly, though, Hydra was putting up a really good fight against them. If you pay attention to the whole scene, yeah, I mean that was heck of a fight. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, crazy action. I mean, Hawkeye gets shot. Um, but what I think makes this unique in, and this is where I think, uh, it's, it's different than other, you know, punch them up, slam bang boom type movies is the interactions between the characters. So, you know, as Tony says a bad word and Cap says language, you know, he can't help himself, but to say that, you know, the dialogue between these guys and the actions between them as they're fighting, like when Hawkeye gets shot and Black Widow rushes to his side And she's a, and you know, Hulk smashes a bunker and she says a little, you know, she says, thank you. You know, those little moments that are very Whedon-esque, quite honestly, is what concerns me about the next Avengers movies when he is not at the helm. Like if we lose that stuff, 
I feel like we're going to lose a lot. And it's what makes this one so enjoyable for me. But, but they, the, the language uh, running gag is, I think, my favorite running gag in the whole movie. It, it is the best running gag in the whole movie. Yes. So. Agreed. Agreed. Um, I did want to say that one thing that we get the first sight of here is Cap's recallable shield. Yes, with the magnets on his arm. Which is actually something that Iron Man did actually create in comic books for Captain America in the early 70s, by the way. Oh, earlier than that, wasn't it? Was, I think it, was, it, was it earlier than that? Yeah. Maybe it was the it was, 60s, uh, but yeah. It was right from his very first appearances in, uh, in the Avengers, yeah. Uh, that was one of the things Iron Man's like, hey, you could get this back, and he puts a magnet in his, in his glove, which is what happens here. Yeah. Uh, so the Avengers managed to get to the base. Uh, Baron Strucker surrenders. Um, and Tony gets inside the base to f- and finds the scepter. He sets up his uh, his armor in sentry mode, and he goes down into the basement, basically. I don't know what else you'd call it. Uh, he finds the secret room, which is also funny. <laughs> a little yay that he lets out when he finds a secret room. Uh, he goes into the basement, and all the there's all sorts of Chitari technology down there. Um, Hydra is building robots based off the Chitari. They have the, one of the giant Leviathans that invaded New York in the first movie. Um, all those kinds of things. And he finds the scepter down there. And Scarlet Witch, or, or Wanda, comes down. She's not named Scarlet Witch in the, in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. She comes down and sends this like red energy into his head. Uh, which we don't know what her powers are. Uh, and if you read a lot of comic books, you don't know what her powers are in the comic books because they change depending on the story being told, which is exactly what Joss Whedon did here. He needed a way to get in the Avengers' heads, uh, and that's what he does. She's kind, of, she's kind of like a human Dementor. Like, she shows exactly what you fear the most. Yeah, sort of. I'm not sure. That's, yeah. a, thing. that's a thing she did. It's just, you know... The, like I think that was um, later on in a few scenes we'll get to see we'll get to meet Ulysses Claw and that's his point. It's like if that's all you do, come on. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it, but it's not all she does, right? It, yeah. But it, it's not until much later in the movie that you get to see it's not all she does. So. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this is this is the scene. The whole Tony's dream thing I think is the scene that sort of explains the entire plot of the movie and connects it to Iron Man three and connects it to Avengers that I think most of the critics are missing. Also, something interesting is if you pay attention to the pose of the Avengers in, in this scene, and you pay attention to their poses in the statue shown during the credits at the end of the movie, it's the same scene, only one is, neg- one is negative because they're all dead, and one <laughs> yeah. is positive because they're all alive and winning, but it's actually the same scene. Right. That's cool. Yeah, so this is the thing. This is what's interesting to me is that, you know, there was the whole sequence of uh, what, what the dream shows is, like Todd said, that all the Avengers are dead, basically laying on a, a pile of a mountain, looking out into space where we see the Chitari ship, the, you know, the aliens who are coming uh, for the Earth or came for the Earth in the first film. And if you rem- and it's basically Captain America says to him something to the effect of like you let us die or you let us down that sort of a thing right so this is where like I think people are missing the boat on on the connection and why Tony does what he does the rest of the movie and probably into the next movie um, that hasn't even come out yet is that that experience when he flew that nuke into the wormhole at the end of the first film Avengers has not and will not leave his head. 
like the entire plot of Iron Man three was basically like Tony has PTSD and he cannot deal with what happened to him in that first movie. And he takes that entire movie, Iron Man three to get over that. But even then he's not necessarily over it. Well, it's also a darker reflection of his own ego in that he thinks that he is the only one that could potentially save all the rest of them, that he's putting that on himself. Yeah, but that's Tony Stark in a nutshell, no matter yeah. what. That's the best. I should say that's Tony Stark in a nutshell because that hasn't been how he always has been. But that's the best way Tony's been done, and they figured that out probably about 18 years ago, I would say, give yeah. or take. Well, and here's, here's the other piece of that, right? The other thing that we learn that we learned in Iron Man 3 that is continued in this movie and is very clear to me, and I don't understand why people can't get it, is like at the end of Iron Man 3, he, he blows up his suits and he says, I am Iron Man. In this one, at the very beginning of the film, he's back in the suit. And a lot of people are like, well, what happened? What's the connective tissue? Well, he's cleaning up the messes. Again, the Hydra stuff, the, all that stuff. He's, he's helping his friends cleaning that stuff up. But the minute he sees an opportunity to stop being Iron Man which is what happens when they get back to the base, he takes it. So he's scared to death of this alien invasion stuff. He, He wants to be out of the hero business. This whole movie, I think thematically, is about what it takes out of you to be the hero. I think the entirety of Phase 2 has been about that. Right? Iron Man 3, Winter Soldier, Thor the Dark World... You know, even Guardians to a lesser extent, all that's sort of removed from this storyline. But the whole crux of Phase 2 has been like, okay, now you've gone from your origin story to being a hero. And now Phase 2 is all about there's a price for that. There's, there's something to that. And this whole movie is about the fact of what does it take to be a hero? What are you giving up? Every character in this movie has given something up to be a hero. And some of them are going to give more throughout the course of the movie. Yep. I think that's the thing that's being missed over and over in every review that I've read. I can see it depends how long you want to read into things. Because I I really, I, I get what you're saying now, but I didn't read into that. But again... You know, I don't care as I read into that type. type. Right. But I'm not, I'm not going to criticize, you know, them for for coming into it. Well, I think there's a lot of people out there going, like, there's no motivation behind the characters. And there's no, like, the plot is really, really hard to follow. And I think the plot is hard to follow if you don't understand the motivations of the characters. And I think that's the core motivation for Tony, which is really the driving force for the entire film. I mean, it's the reason why the the bad guy gets created is that Tony wants to quit doing this. And he says it multiple times in the movie. Well, I, I agree with Gerald Gonzalez of shield though, that Tony is a little bit narcissistic and maybe oh, that's completely. Why and that's, mm-hmm. yeah. that's also a goal. That's why it also it was being done. Yeah. Right. Oh com- yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. So let's, let's talk about a lighter thing for a second. Just like, I want to interject with a lighter thing. Just get it off the plate. Please do. Uh, did you notice the two number 12 uses in the movie? One of them was said, and one of them happened. No. Well, uh, at, towards the end, we learned that Pietro is exactly 12 minutes older than Wanda. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Right? Okay. 
Yeah. Also, the uh, credits are ex- the title scene. The title on the screen shows up exactly 12 minutes into the movie. So they're still playing with the number 12. And why is the number 12 significant? I can't. No one knows. I think it's just, <laughs> I just think it's I, I think it's uh, probably something else that's going to go when Whedon goes. But I think it's his thing and he's just keeping quiet about it. Uh, probably. Probably. All right. So they rec- they capture the Loki scepter. Um, and then the, one of the things, the other things that's set up in this initial scene is after they've captured the scepter, um, it's Black Widow who can talk the Hulk down. So she goes and gives him what they call the lullaby, just basically sort of says to him, it's, you know, it's getting dark out. It's time to go to sleep. Um, and for me, like the, this is the, I've watched a lot of Hulk. I watched a lot of Bill Bigsby Hulk. I watched a lot of, a lot of Hulk live action stuff. Um, and this is the best Hulk to Banner transformation I've ever seen. So, see, I got a segue. That was a great segue, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, they actually made a whole new motion capture system for this film. It was uh, uh, Industrial Light and Magic, by the way, when I say they. Uh, it was called, it's called Muse, okay? And this film has in it more than 3,000 visual special effects, which is bigger than the previous record holder, which was Guardians of the Galaxy, which had about... What twenty five hundred two hundred fifty less in the whole movie? This is why uh, Andy Serkis was part of the cast and played Claws because they knew they would have to use it in a scene where he he loses his arm. We haven't gotten there yet, but it's he had to lose his arm to become who he actually is. Um, And because he's played all sorts of characters of, of various types that are CGI, so he was who they wanted to get in to test the system. And they use it for the Hulk, and they use it to um, edit out Scarlett Johansson's pregnant belly in a lot of scenes because in a lot while well, she had three stunt doubles that were apparently confusingly similar to her, if you read all the, all the records about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, she, um, uh, she, she, was she was pregnant, pregnant. in a lot of scenes, yeah. and she's in, she's in a lot of the scenes in, her, in full-on pregnant belly, and they just use this to edit it out, and you don't even notice. Yeah, I would agree. It's it. I would never have known if I didn't know going into the movie. Yeah, for sure. And, and so they capture the scepter. They go back, and it's but that whole scene and the conversation that happens between um, Banner and Natasha in the Quinjet as they are going back to Avengers Tower sets up uh, what I know is one of Rachel's favorite parts because I follow her on Facebook, which is the Bruce <laughs> Natasha relationship. Yes. <laughs> And the one I hate. Here we yes. go. <laughs> I like it. It's different. I mean, here, here's the thing. It, in comic books, she's always been Hawkeye's friend, but Hawkeye was dating Bobby Morse, who's Mockingbird and happens to be a character in S.H.I.E.L.D., among other people that he's dated that are in comic books. But that's the one that among people the might know. Among the many. Among the many. But yeah. that's, that's one of the, including Scarlet Witch, by the way. Um, yeah. <laughs> but that might be one of the people that, that their fami- folks are familiar with from the show. Um, in uh, Ultimate Universe, Black Widow was dating Iron Man. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. I, I'm with you, Rachel. I loved it. I've, I've been hoping that this would happen ever since the first Avengers when she went to get him. I just felt like the two of them on screen, Johansson and Ruffalo, I think have really good chemistry together. And I think the characters and what they have both been through it makes sense that they would want to be together 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like, I think, I think in the, in, I, I know what you're saying, Cheryl, and even what you're saying about the comics too, Todd, but like in just the self-contained world of these movies, um, they set it up to a large extent in the first one without actually going too in depth on it and make and forcing it. And I think here it's not even forced. It's just, she expresses it and it's something he has to react to. And it never really even gets to the point that they have a relationship. You know what I mean? Like we, we don't ever get that far because they have to sacrifice things to be a hero. It's just part of the overall narrative of, you know, this movie, which is like I said before, what what's the cost of of being a hero? What's the cost of of what do you have to sacrifice? What are you giving up um, to go out there and be an Avenger? Uh, and I I love it from that standpoint. I think it's it's perfect. It's spot on. Um, the dialogue between the two of them and the chemistry they have on screen is 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 really great. Um, yes. Can we talk about the party scene? We should because that's what. So so let's. Basically, they go back to they go back to the Avengers Tower. Uh, and there's a, a very crucial moment between Tony and Bruce where they are looking at the scepter and they see that it's some sort of an AI, right? The, the blue glowy thing that's in Loki's scepter is some sort of an artificial intelligence. And they say, what if we take that crazy artificial intelligence and put it into this program we're designing called Ultron, which is a way for us to create artificial intelligence that can take the place of the Avengers and we don't have to fight anymore. And, and just to be clear, though, they meant crazy cool at that point. They didn't mean correct. They didn't mean crazy crazy until a few scenes later. <laughs> correct. <laughs> um, and so they keep trying and trying and trying through a montage, um, but they are unsuccessful. That's another key thing. Like they weren't able to actually figure this out, uh, and they just leave Jarvis, the robot uh, guy who's in Tony's suit, uh, to keep running simulations until they can figure it out. Uh, well, and so then we get to the party. The other important thing to also note in that scene is that Tony does not want anyone except for Bruce to know about this. And it's so interesting because in the first Avengers, he's so critical of Nick Fury keeping the secret of that he's developing alien technology to create new weapons when he's doing the exact same thing in this movie. He's using technology that he doesn't really understand that hasn't been tested and he's creating something that could be potentially really powerful. If he thought he could have done it himself, he wouldn't have sought Bruce's help. Yes. Just to be clear. <laughs> he, uh, need, is, he needed This Bruce. is um, one differentiation which I wanted to say the cartoon handled better. Because, because the cartoon angle is um, they use Arsenal, which they find this old robot that Tony's dad created called Arsenal. And Arsenal becomes the the the... Ultron takes over Arsenal's body. The, the vehicle it. falls from. So, but Ultron had already existed in that in the animated universe from pri- from the prior series, and it's that same Ultron that carries over into this. It's just his AI is still poking but I mean, around. But it was an easy skip for them to use the same robot body. Indeed, and I agree. I, so, I mean, I kind of like that. I- and so then we get the crazy, insanely good, probably best scene in the movie, Party, which is, <laughs> it's basically like, a, as Thor calls it, it's Revels. Uh, it is a party in the, in the Avengers Tower to celebrate the fact that the Avengers have basically 
cleaned up all their messes. So that's another important bit that happens in the Quinjet on the way back is they, they say, well, you know, Hydra's taken care of and Loki Scepter's taken care of. And the various and sundry characters say, okay, well, then we're going to go our separate ways. Like, there's no need for us to be together now, right? They say that in the Quinjet. Like, Thor's like, I'm going to go back to Asgard, but I'll stick around for the party. You know, Cap says, I'll stick around for the party. Sure, why not? You know, that kind of a thing. But they basically say at that point that once they have the scepter, okay, we're good. We can, we can disband now. The Avengers have taken care of business. Uh, and so this is the party where the Avengers are going to quit being the Avengers. Little Am I the only know. one who saw that? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I got it. I mean. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so they're having a big party, and it's like Cameo Central. Yes. <laughs> because Don Cheadle comes in as War Machine, and he t- he's, his whole bit is that his stories don't impress the Avengers, which I thought was very funny. They only yep. impress normal people. Um, Anthony Mackie from Winter Soldier comes in, and what I like about the way that they did that is that he comes in and he has a brief conversation with Cap that if you saw Winter Soldier, it makes perfect sense that he's saying, I was following up on leads from Bucky, uh, if you didn't see Winter Soldier, you're just like, okay, that's Cap's buddy. <laughs> like, it's not so in your, you know what I mean? Like, it's not so in your face of, like, you have to know who this guy is. It's just, this is Cap's friend. Uh, and he says, basically, like, I'm going to leave the Avenging to you. I'm just following up on our missing persons case, speaking about Bucky. Um, you, you, you handle the Avenging. Which, that, that one thing there, though, did bother me, considering what happens at the very end of the movie. He sort of directly contradicts that at the end of the movie. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about the end of the movie when we get there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just saying. Um, Stan Lee makes his cameo uh, drinking some sort of ancient alcoholic beverage from Thor, which knocks him over yeah. in the party scene. Um, and then we get the what I know that uh, Rachel is probably eager to talk about, which is the uh, Black Widow dressed up in what seems to be some sort of 40s garb, mixing martinis for her and uh, Banner. Yes, and I think every girl watching that movie, this movie wanted that outfit because it's a great <laughs> outfit. <laughs> yes, she uh, she looks amazing in the in, in that. It's like it, it reminded me, quite honestly, of like a '40s screwball comedy. Yeah, well, the thing that I love about this scene too is that the power dynamic with her and Bruce shifts so much. Because this is the element that she's most comfortable in and that he is the least comfortable in. That he does not like these big parties and social things because, frankly, he'd like to keep to himself as much as possible to hurt as little people as possible. And she's the one drawing him in and being like, no, you know, hang out with me and like, let's have some drinks and stuff. He's interested, though. That's that's. I also good. think he doesn't want accolades for 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 his alternate ego. I think that's also. Oh no, he definitely doesn't. Oh yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right. Yep. Yeah. And there's also the great exchange between um, between Bruce and Steve about uh, her flirting abilities, <laughs> and that he's seen them up close. <laughs> <laughs> Which he did. It, it's just a great scene, and then it leads to the scene that was probably shown the most in far, in like trailers and previews and stuff, which was um, the scene of all of them trying to lift Thor's hammer, which when I saw it in the beginning, when I saw it in previews and trailers and things, I was like, oh, that's a kind of a cute scene. But what I love is the fact that that pays off in a big, big way later on in the movie. Like, it's not just there as a fun scene. It pays off big time. 
Yeah, I get chills just thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) As Todd pointed out to me, it's an easy way for them to trust um, the AI character that comes later. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole reason for it is because it... Because they all know, despite their joking during this scene, they all know it really legitimately means something. Just like Tony doesn't really want to admit it because Tony's got this anti-magic thing. And, you know, so it, but it's there and it's, it's the basis of, you know, it's a great basis of trust. It's make tons of sense for them to have done it the way they did it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have that, that initial comic book nerd thing of what happens later in the movie can't actually happen but as far as making sense internally logically in the movie it's so great um but anyway uh and so the party gets interrupted by uh a staggering little like nonsensical droid basically like tony has these droids called the iron legion that he sends in to help corral civilians when the avengers are fighting uh that were in the battle at the very beginning uh, yes. And they were voiced by James Spader in that, who ends up voicing Ultron in this. But he's just – what I like is that it's it's the AI that that we saw that, that Tony and Bruce were working on. But he's not really making a lot of sense. It, yeah. He's working through the programming. He's working through everything. Um, and there was a scene that we we sort of skipped, which is where we see just digitally he – is talking to Jarvis uh, and watching clips of Tony Stark because he's been given his mission by Tony Stark, which is to put a suit of armor around the world, protect the world and keep all the bad things from happening to the world. And then we see this thing that he goes through of all the battles and wars and things at where he basically sees, Oh, well, if I'm going to do that, it's going to be tougher than I thought, you know? And so this thing th- shows up and basically says that the re- the thing that can help save the world is to defeat the Avengers. Yes. And now here's here's the thing. This is a this is an homage moment to the first real battle that the Avenger in the comic books that they have because it's Legionnaire number five, and in comic books in the seventies, the Ultron that they first fought was Ultron number five. There you go. Right, and that means that we also see Ultron six, seven, and eight in the movie. For people who are keeping count. We see a lot of Ultrons. Well, we specifically see 6, 7, and 8, though. Not all the little, not all the little side ones that he controls, but the main Ultron, Ultron Prime, as it tends to be referred to in comic books. It's a, you see a 6th revision and then a 7th revision and an 8th revision. Yep. End of the movie. Yep. And, and so, yeah, there's a big, big fight where all, where all the, the Iron Legion basically attack the Avengers uh, and run off with the Scepter. Uh, Thor goes after the scepter, and this is where we get a big fight between the Avengers, where Tony admits to what he did, which is create this murderous artificial intelligence uh, that Cap is very upset about, as well as some of the other members of the team. Thor comes back and basically wants to choke Tony because, you know, they had just finished... He, He had just finished mopping up this mess off the kitchen floor, and now Tony has spilled the milk again. Yeah, to qu- to quote the Incredibles, I just cleaned up this mess. <laughs> right. Oh, let's not. Oh, that's 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 a whole nother internet thing that I would love to get into in another time in life. Yeah, <laughs> that's talking, true. Talking about anonymous criticism on the internet. Yeah, for sure. And so they're all upset, but they don't know what to do about it. Um, and then we see that Ultron is had, where he has gone is back to Strucker's base. 
And so all the droids that he had active that Strucker had been working on to try to create something like Ultron only I think I wonder if Strucker had created it if it would actually be safe since Tony created it is it murderous. I don't know, just something to think about. Uh <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he starts creating copies of himself and things like that. Until finally uh we go back to the Avengers and they're trying to figure out what to do and Ultron is in the internet and it turns out Ultron has killed uh, Baron Strucker, which that was another complaint I heard. Is like, why would you bring in Baron Strucker and then just kill him? And the answer is because it makes sense in the story. Because you're right, because anymore. Hydra was done, so it didn't matter whether he lived or died. The, exactly. The Hydra's done. Right. And so that's what they do is they show that Strucker's been killed and – so the Avengers immediately figure out, and this is where I think people think that the plot doesn't make sense, but it makes sense. You just have to like drill in on this one scene and the dialogue because what they say is he was killed because he knows something about Ultron or that Ultron's going to do that Ultron doesn't want us to know. And then they kind of pose the question, well, what could that be? How can we figure that out? Well, we can't use the internet because he's deleted all the files on Strucker on the internet, or all of Strucker's files. So they go to boxes of paper, and they eventually find this picture of this guy, Ulysses Claw, and they find a tattoo on it, or a branding on his neck, uh, and they say, maybe it's this guy, because he's a weapons dealer. They look up the branding, and it says, he got out of Wakanda. And Cap and Iron Man look at each other and go, well, if this guy got out of Wakanda, this African nation which is the home of the Black Panther, uh, then he must be a bad guy. <laughs> also the home of vibranium, as they tell us in the movie. Correct. And, it's yes. also, and then they say, this is where you get vibranium. Claw has vibranium, and the rest of the Avengers say, what is vibranium? And they look at Cap Shield. <laughs> Fairly self-explanatory. It's a very strong metal, <laughs> right? So, I mean, I think people are going like, oh, they must have just, they're just squeezing this in to set up the Black Panther movie. And I, I'm going like, I think it's more they decided they were going to travel the world. Why not go to Wakanda? Because that's one of the things Joss Whedon said for sure he wanted to do in this movie is that the Avengers needed to be global, not trapped in New York. And they did. They shot on location in South, in South Africa, Korea, Italy, because Italy is, is Sokovia in the movie, yes. by the way, and England yes. uh, and a couple other places you see some shots up from in the news. Yeah, and so uh, they – decide they have to go to Wakanda and they have to stop Ultron. So in in the meanwhile, back at Ponderosa, Ultron is in Sokovia and recruits the twins because he has reached out to them in some unknown way. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> well, no, they, they... Okay, Tony Stark was, for some reason, their enemy. Yes. Uh, I couldn't... I, I did not get that why. I oh, they explain. Oh, they they explain it. It's just it's it's really unclear because let's face it, Tony didn't launch whatever missile they were talking about, right? No, no, he no. didn't launch it. But it's but they sat there for days looking at something that said Stark Enterprises that could have killed them. Right, but yeah. if it happened ten years ago, it wasn't him in any way. It was Stain, according to the timeline, right? So yeah. But it's it, still his company. It's still his fortune is built on this. I know it was just. But I'm saying that poorly explained. I'm gonna say this, honestly, this is my biggest problem. is is not the motivation of the heroes in the movie. It's the motivation of the three villains is extremely poorly developed. That's my that's my opinion. I mean, I I agree with you on the twins. I don't agree on Ultron, but we could talk about that in a second. I, I, 
I, yeah, I just, I, I get what Ultron's doing. I get why he's doing it. I understand it. I know what the real motivation is. I don't think it's explained in the movie. And I think if you, I think if you take yourself out of thinking you understand it, you're really realizing you understand it because you understand Ultron to begin with. And I don't think it's explained in the movie. So my counterpoint to that would be the twins. I agree with you are completely like their motivation is explained in the movie. I think that scene that Pietro describes of them in their house or whatever with the, them looking at the missile that says Stark on it should have been the prologue to the movie. Like that should have been shown, not told. And I think yeah. that would have fixed the whole problem. I also have to point out that the original cut of this movie was what? Three and a half hours long. <laughs> it's three hours long. Yeah. Yeah. More, yeah. more than that, supposedly. So. so, yeah, I think the twins, no. it's explained, but it's explained very poorly. Yeah. And just to answer what you said about Ultron, I think Ultron, the thing you have to understand about Ultron is that he is Tony. Yeah. Like, he basically takes, he, he absorbs everything that is Tony and is the worst aspects of Tony. And he's taking things to the logical conclusion of what Tony's saying and that's his motivation. Yeah, but Tony, Tony would never dust off a nuke the side of from orbit, even at his worst. Right, but that's my point, is he is the worst. Like, he, he, he's like, okay, I got what Tony's trying to be, and I'm going to be the logical robotic extension of that, as in I'm going to take logic to the extreme function. And so, like, you see his, you see his thoughts evolve as he goes through the movie, like, his plan, the reason why his plan's not clear in the very beginning is because he doesn't actually know what his plan is. No, I, I, I didn't say his plan. I said his motivation, and I just don't, I, I his motivation really isn't there for me. I, um, anyway, I did want to say, to move along, I did want to say that uh, one of the main reasons for this particular meeting scene in the church is to pay homage to Ultron's first appearance again. Yep. Yep. Okay, because he was originally the Crimson Cowl for three episodes of a comic book. Um, one behind the scenes where he incidentally puts Claw up to fight the Avengers. And that's actually one of the most famous Avengers covers because it's got Claw standing on the whole cover with all the Avengers around him looking scared, right? Mm-hmm. Very, not that Claw's a very scary villain, even when he is a super villain, by the way, folks. Just be prepared for that. Uh, <laughs> but he wore a crimson cowl and then he's uncovered and then he has a big fight with them. Well, there's also the very familiar sight of Ultron sitting on a throne. Yes. That's something they like doing a whole lot with his character. Yep. Absolutely. And so they we get to we get to the the scenes in Wakanda, which is Ultron shows up with the twins to confront Andy Circus playing Ulysses Claw, an arms dealer, uh, to get the vibranium and so they are they are there to try to get the vibranium from him. They decide to make a deal um, this is where I think this scene where he's talking to Claw is where I feel like he reveals that part that I'm talking about of him being Tony. Um, so that because he's so quippy and you're like, why is he being that way? And then you the, he reveals like he says something that Tony Stark used to say. And that's when Claw goes, wait, that's what Stark used to say. And that's when Ultron sort of loses it. I mean, Ultron is basically Tony Stark's you know, son to a lesser extent, but he's, I know exactly what you're saying, Todd, about his motivations. And that, but that's where, that's where I got my info from is when he's making the jokes and like when he pulls the guy's arm, when he pulls Claw's arm off by accident, cause he gets angry yeah. and then he starts apologizing. Um, it's cause he's still figuring it all out too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, now there isn't, 
what I think is an actual Easter egg, but it, people are trying to speculate as to what it actually is. If you go to uh, Claw's desk, there's a picture of a lady that they spend a lot of time lingering the camera on. Yeah. I wanted to state that I believe that this is um, Greer Grant, known as Tigra, who was an Avenger prior to being Tigra. Mm-hmm. And it might mean that she has a tie-in or has an appearance in the upcoming Black Panther movie as well. Which would be cool. And also makes sense. So. Yeah. Yeah, and so the Avengers show up in this. Um, it's in South Africa, uh, in 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 this area, and uh, the Avengers start fighting Ultron. And this is this is my least favorite action sequence in the whole movie because it's like CGI Iron Man fighting CGI Ultron. So the Quicksilver um, stuff in this scene is actually pretty entertaining. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah especially when he grabs the hammer. That's the best part. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That even uh, that even, Cheryl got a kick out of that scene. So. But this is the point where the crazy fever dreams come in, where the Scarlet part of the plan is the Scarlet Witch is going to confront all the Avengers and give them these crazy dreams, um, showing them their fears or their, their their visions and things like that. And so she does it to, to Black Widow, who goes back to the Red Room where she was trained. Yes. And uh, this, where, is, this is an origin thing from her actual origin going back to the 60s, by the way, folks. This yep. is, I like new stuff. And it's in, uh, it was in the Agent Carter show as well. Correct. That's that. right. It, it, right. In Agent Carter, the uh, female killer is actually trained. One of these trained assassins from the Red Room, also. Yep. Uh, yep. And her trainer is played by Julie Delpy from yes. before Sunrise fame. Yep. Uh, and then Thor is shown a vision that we aren't really sure what it is. And this is another one where I think people have. I, I think they dealt with this vision and subplot inelegantly, to say the least. And even yes. Joss Whedon acknowledges that. Um, but it's well, because he, he acknowledges that most of it was left on the cutting room floor. So. Yes. Right. Yep. Yeah. We were actually discussing this at dinner tonight, but we'll talk about it in, in just a second. Um, sure. He shows this thing of Heimdall showing up and saying, like, you've condemned us all, Odin's son, uh, because of your power. You know, we're all going to die, basically all the Asgardians. And, and we're we all going to hell, he says. Yeah, we don't really know what that means. And by the way, he mean, he does not mean H-E double hockey sticks. Because Correct. he's Asgardian, yep. so he's H-E-L. Just so one, one of the nine realms, yes. The lowest of the nine realms. And then... Uh, uh, Captain America gets a vision of, and this is what I think is really important uh, for Captain America's motivation in the movie and going forward, is we see that, we see a, like basically a, a big band 40 setup of like, they've won the war basically, where he's sitting out there with everybody and Peggy shows up and it's like, here's the life that happened had he not gone into the ice and then it all disappears. Yeah. Did you catch the name of the band? The Roy Thomas players? Yes. Roy Thomas, as we said earlier in the podcast, was, was the creator of Ultron, Vision, Yellow Jacket, and also Adam Warlock, who we have mentioned several yes. times. Pretty much all those things you love in that cartoon in the cartoon, Cheryl, all those stories, he pretty much wrote those. And and so the the big and then we get all of those sequences. And but for me, like the cap one is the big one because it shows that he he did want all that stuff. Like he wanted the life and all those things, but he's um, towards the end of the movie. He basically admits that the person who wanted that stuff is not, is not there anymore. doesn't exist anymore. But we know from watching this dream that that's not necessarily true. By, by the way, this scene really reminded me of um, a song from uh, Les Miserables, uh, empty chairs at empty tables um, in which Literally, the last survivor of a revolution is sitting around remembering, like that all of his friends have died and that he's the only one to live through it. 
Um, so I am, I am awaiting the inevitable mashup of those two. <laughs> and so the, the, the final bit of this sequence when, when people are uh, getting their fever dreams is the Scarlet Witch gets stopped by Hawkeye uh, in, in a great sequence where he sticks an arrow on her head and says, I've had enough of that mind control stuff. You know, a, a nice reference to the last one, to the last Avengers. And instead she goes outside and she hypnotizes the Hulk who goes and starts trashing the city and Iron Man has to come and stop her, stop him rather in what is probably the most geekiest geek out moment I've ever had in a theater. Well, because well, they, he, they wanted to try to get Natasha to stop him, but as Hawkeye said, she was not available. Correct. Yeah. Um, it, it's a really super good scene. I mean, there's, there's no other really way to describe it other than to say that it proves that you can bash around a city a lot and not actually kill everybody in the city like in Manhattan. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, that was very pointed. That felt extremely intentional. It, if you notice, it's actually a meme throughout the entire movie is they're yeah. constantly making sure to take care of, of pedestrians and people who are in the way and stuff like that constantly. Yeah, like the subway and uh, Quicksilver saving the civilians. Yes. I yeah. love I love the way how quick can I buy this building? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there's just so many great moments. Um, and and you guys, I assume, caught the but for the listeners, the the Hulkbuster armor that Iron Man wears is called uh, Veronica, because yes, well, the whole deployment system for the armor is called Veronica. Yeah, the armor itself is part of that system. And, and the reason why Todd is oh, uh, because it's a reference to the fact that uh, Bruce Banner's uh, one-time wife and girlfriend was Betty Ross, and so Betty Veronica Archie Comics. It's an Archie and Archie Comics reference, intentional, by the way. Yeah. So um, I did want to say to show people the difference of how powerful this armor is and why it's able to stand up for the Hulk. Now, every one of Tony's armors that we've seen so far up until this point runs on a single arc reactor in his chest, right? If you look closely at this particular one. In addition to the one that's on the suit of armor that is inside the big Hulkbuster suit of armor, because remember, there's actually two suits in play at the same time, right? Uh, so that's one. There's three on the front, two, one in the middle of the chest and two on each knee. And then there's four on the back of the suit. So it takes eight arc reactors to stand up to the Hulk. That's a lot of arc reactors. That is a lot of arc reactors. Yeah. Power, yeah. As funny as the scene is, and it is really funny because of most of Tony's dialogue throughout the scene, it was really distressing, too. Like, I think if, if it weren't for the fact that Tony was joking for the entire thing, I was, I was legitimately upset. Oh, yeah. <laughs> about all of this. Well, think, of, think about how he was. He was probably upset, too. I mean, you have to remember, at this point, Banner's like his best friend. And here yeah. he is having to beat the ever-loving out of his best friend and yeah. he has to keep a smile on through the whole thing. Cause it's the only way he can cope with it. Yeah, so I think it's science bros. Cause it's science bros, which is actually an alternate <laughs> comes from an alternate reality story, not from the movies folks. Uh, yeah. It's a, a, the alternate reality story is one where Iron Man and um, Bruce Banner have the same origin, by the way. For people. So, yeah, but, and so what, what comes of this is there's this, um, as Tony is talking to Maria Hill, like, there's a lot of people upset at, you know, this is the first time that people have seen the Hulk since 
his since he trashed Harlem and the Incredible Hulk. And, you know, this is the first time they've really seen the Hulk on a rampage. You know what I mean? Worldwide. And so there's uh, there's not a lot of people who want the Avengers to come back to New York. And you can imagine how that's going. So they have to find a place to go. And the place that they end up going is what Hawkeye says is a safe house, which turns out to be a farm out in the middle of nowhere that he runs with his pregnant wife and two children. And Hawkeye's married, and that's not Hawkeye from the comic books, but man, is it awesome. Well, no, it's Hawkeye from... it's Laura Barton is his wife in The Ultimates. Should they get a, this, It's actually a question is, are they doomed? Yeah. Right? Because... because Fair enough. They, they, in Ultimates, they get assassinated, they get and he gets kidnapped, and then he kills everybody with his fingernails. Yep. Yeah, but that's not my <laughs> Hawkeye. My, my Hawkeye is the uh, Bobby Morse-married Hawkeye and such, but, oh, but yeah. yeah, it's... it's uh, I, I that's, that's one thing I've heard from people who are big Hawkeye fans. It's like, oh, no, that's not Hawkeye, and I agree. I love the Hawkeye comic book so, character, but this is perfect for him because it plays right into that theme of it it also it explains like where was Hawkeye during Civil War or during Thor the Dark World or these things like he was at home knocking out the the kitchen wall so he could put in another room. Right, <laughs> it, it's actually really good. One of the things that's really great in this movie, if you, if you pay attention to it, is that uh, that that neat suit that he ends up in after this scene, right? Because I guess yep. does he have the long suit on before? I guess he does have it in the beginning. It's yeah. actually a combination of all three of the outfits that Hawkeye has is famous for wearing, not strictly one or the other or the other. So, because he's, he's actually been, uh, so it's the regular Hawkeye, the ultimate Hawkeye, and uh, this Ronin alternate character that he was when he infiltrated. I can't remember what group he was infiltrating when he was Ronin, but he played a bad guy who, you know, at one point in time, because he not, was a bad not guy. Ronin stuff, the destro- not Ronin the Quester, though. No, not, not Ronin the Destroyer. Yes. No. Ronin, I should say. Sorry, yes. I'm confused. I, I, okay. I knew we wasn't, but you know. That's yeah. my New York coming through, so it doesn't pronounce right. So that's why I'm being more clear. And so, so part of the scene is what is my biggest issue in the movie, which is the whole Thor subplot, which is uh, one of the few criticisms that I really agree with. Which is Thor sort of takes off. He says, "I saw something in the vision I didn't like. I'm leaving." It's very abrupt. <laughs> like, I mean, literally, yep. that's basically what happens. Like, yep. That's, right. That's it. He, he leaves, and even the whole thing, like, he, because, I mean, let's just discuss the whole subplot really quick, because it's, yeah. it's very cut, right? I mean, he goes... about it longer than it actually exists in the movie. Right. Because there's more to say about the stuff that was supposedly cut out. <laughs> right. um, yeah. so he, goes to, he goes to a college, I guess, presumably in London. I was unclear, right? I think it was supposed to be London. And uh, he meets up with uh, Selvig, who has now been in every... Thor movie plus both Avengers movies, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> and it looks like he'll be in the future Avengers movies because he's on the compound at the end. Um, and he asks him to help him with something. And that ends up being going into a pool. I forget what they call the pool. The pool of dreams or something. It's some weird name like that, right? Yeah. The, but the point of it is, is, this, is this locus point between all the various realms where there's a pool that you can go in and you can use it as almost like a way to in, reinduce your dreams so that you can investigate them is what I got out of it. Because yeah, it's not this, something I've ever seen in comics before. So there's, there's also a shot in the first trailer for Avengers Age of Ultron that has a mysterious woman in it, and apparently she was going to be a part of this subplot that was right. cut out. 
It was so uh, she was supposed he was supposed to actually not be himself. He was supposed to get possessed by one of the Norns or the Fates. Okay, right. and the most of the scene that was cut out was actually Selvig questioning the Norn about the dream, right? And what the fate of the of Asgard was. Yeah, the whole idea was supposed to be exactly that, right? Yeah. He was he was in the pool. He was possessed by somebody, and and Selvig was getting the information. Um, and instead, and, what happens is he gets the information. He shows up later and just sort of says, "This is what happened." Also, but, the pool was supposed to be in Wakanda in of. Because that's why it's that shiny rock. That's all vibranium that the pool is supposed to be in. The reason why I think it doesn't work is that originally the Marvel execs wanted to get rid of, from what he says, uh, they wanted to get rid of the dreams and the farmhouse sequences. And he managed to save the he managed to save those. But the execs then said, "But you got to get rid of this Thor thing." And they wanted to handle it just in a subplot. So he like chose just to in a, save just the in farm. line of dialogue. Yeah, he literally <laughs> saved the farm. <laughs> um, yes. Now, some some other things that are in, under discussion is who is the cloaked person that you see in the in the flashback, the right in the dream, and the the running theory is that it's Hell, uh, Hella, sorry, who is the ruler of Hell, and she will play a big part in Thor Ragnarok because that's what Ragnarok's about. It's about Hella defeating Thor, and after she kills Odin, that's. That's what Ragnarok is supposed to be in mythos, by the way, folks. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it had, a co- it had a cameo from Loki that was also cut, supposedly. Yep. So Loki right. was supposed to be in this movie. It was cut. Now, why this fits together well and why Loki would have been in there is that the, in actual mythology, not, comic, not Marvel Comics, by the way, but maybe it might be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is that Hela is actually the daughter of Loki yes. in actual mythology. And so, yeah, it was, uh, it was a, the Thor plot just doesn't work. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, what I will say is that everything you need to know from that subplot is in the movie. It's just not done well. So I, I've had, I have had a couple people go like, oh, well, I didn't understand why Thor left and what he did and everything. Like, he explains everything when he comes back later in the movie. He explains, basically what happened is I went to a place, I got some information, here's what I learned. Now, is it done well? No, it's not. Yes. Not at all. No. <laughs> um, but that, that's honestly my biggest complaint in the movie, and it sounds like Joss Whedon's biggest complaint with the movie as well. Then the second thing that happens is that there's two other scenes that happen while they're at the farmhouse, which is uh, we get Tony and Cap chopping wood together. <laughs> I love this scene. <laughs> yes. Which is awesome. And they start arguing over, you know, the philosophies and how Tony always wants to find the shortcut, which is totally true, uh, and has driven his character since the very first time we saw him on screen. And how Cap doesn't have a dark side, which we know from his vision is not true. So it's very interesting, like, neither of them are really saying the actual things, but it still sets up a lot of cool stuff for Civil War, but also for what happens in this movie. Right. Well, also for the fact that that Stark might not be back in the Infinity Wars, it might be someone else. That's exactly right. And then the last bit that happens at the farmhouse, or or there's two other things, I guess. Uh, We have Natasha and Bruce, uh, Natasha revealing to Bruce that as part of her Red Room training, she was sterilized. uh, And they sort of come to an agreement that they're going to run away together. Yes, this this is the source of most of the uh, think pieces that have come out about this movie. Both, yes, um, like on on both sides of it. Um, I, just to sum up the arguments very succinctly, as succinctly as possible, anyways. 
um, people that don't like the scene are taking away from it that because she says that she's sterilized and then she has the line, you think you're the only monster on the team, that by saying that, it's implying that women who are sterile are monsters or that they're wrong or that that sterile women can, like, don't have feelings in also the line about how it makes it easier to kill. Um, I don't personally ascribe to that. I actually think that um, the best sum up that I've seen of this was actually a courtesy of Washington Post. Um, I'll make sure to... Uh, get that link over so that can be in the show notes. But I think it's the best sum up of that scene and what it means for her character. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, because overall my opinion to rebuff the other thing is because, again, heaven forbid or Asgard forbid, right? That's what I said earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, a, a woman who has been brainwashed to be an assassin can't actually think of herself as a monster for killing all the people that she's killed over the years and wondering if that's actually by her choice or by someone's pre-programming right yeah <laughs> yeah i thought that part was a little silly like i being... didn't mind it as much i guess as you guys did because i had seen it like this has, was compiled upon her red room dream yeah so i really didn't see it as, as i mean i was just like man she you know like like everyone else like they said they that they handle caps dark side and stuff I just compiled that, you know, again, I compiled, like, you guys compiled that onto their dreams. I compiled her ascribing herself to see a monster because we had seen her dream. Yep. Yeah. That's right. And then we have the scene between uh, Linda Cardellini uh, playing Laura Barton and and Hawkeye, uh, where she says the immortal line, I totally support your avenging, which... I, I love that. But the whole thing is setting up the fact that, you know, he they, they really play into the fact that Hawkeye is going to die in this movie. Like, really play into that. Yeah, yeah. well, especially anyone that anyone that's familiar with Whedon's work, um, you see the warning signs for certain characters and you're concerned. I mean, especially if you think about, like, Firefly and Serenity with Wash and the yeah. fact that you've got Hawkeye, he's got a pregnant wife... <laughs> You know, he's he's got a, a good potential life after all of this is over. You know, he probably has the most to lose of anyone on the yeah. team. Which, again, goes back to the whole theme, right? Like, what are you giving up to be the hero? He even, Joss Whedon said in, in, in some of the interviews, like, he leaned into that hard. He leaned into his reputation and, like, really played it up that he was going to die. Um, and so Nick Fury shows up because Nick Fury has to show up because Samuel L. Jackson has a contract for nine movies. Um, that was the other thing also for me. Also, because we need a Star Wars connection. <laughs> there you go. That's right. Oh, yeah, we forgot to mention there is an Avengers connection. <laughs> <laughs> Every scene of the movie. Uh, yeah, uh, that was the other thing for me. Like, I don't, I didn't feel like we needed Samuel L. Jackson. Um, I, he's sort of a MacGuffin towards the end of the movie, and I guess some connective tissue to the first one, but he sort of felt unnecessary here. Yeah. Um, my one feeling about this was it's also my feeling about the later line that they're kind of waxing nostalgic about their days at shield and being like, Oh, you remember back when we had a helicarrier and stuff and him showing up, it's kind of like, Oh, remember when the worst thing we had to worry about was that Nick Fury was secretly making weapons. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I guess. I don't know. Like I, I, I just feel like it. he comes in here to show up at the end of the movie 
but he doesn't serve an actual purpose in either. Like, another character could have done both of the things that he does. Like, to me, the speech that he gives to the Avengers after the Scarlet Witch has messed with them could have been given, and in my mind, probably should have been, by Captain America. Really? I, I actually thought it would have been really interesting had it been bringing Coulson back in to, to see them. Yeah, that could have I, worked as well. I, I think it would have been... like. There was really no reason for Fury to come back, I agree, other than, like you said, he signed to do all these movies. That's, that's really the whole reason. So, right. But I think once, the, once they've destroyed S.H.I.E.L.D., like, I, I honestly thought they might kill him in this one. Because what purpose does he serve at this point? And he also just died in comics. Yeah. But, but anyway. Uh, and so they, what, they, what they figure out is that Ultron is trying to uh, create a new him. And they do this because they, they see the uh, one of Hawkeye's kids draws a picture of uh, a butterfly. And Banner looks at it and realizes, like, hey, Ultron's trying to evolve. He took the vibranium. He's trying to build himself a newer, stronger him. And then they realize that, uh, going back to the beginning of the movie, Helen Cho, who, was in, who helped heal Hawkeye, she has this machine that can create synthetic tissue and so they realize, you know, basically from information that Nick Fury gives them and from Banner thinking things through that, ah, this is what he's trying to do. He's trying to create, he's trying to create the next evolution of AI and humans. He's trying to create a synthetic human body with the vibranium and everything. And, of course, we see Ultron. That's exactly what he's trying to do. Yeah. Before we move on from the farmhouse, I just want to also mention um, Aunt Nat. <laughs> Yes. And the the adorableness of Aunt Nat and the relationship that she the friendship that she clearly has with Laura and just the comfortable rapport between them and the line about um that it's no longer uh, Natasha, it's Nathaniel. Yes, the baby was a traitor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I liked that a lot too. Well, it shows that's why I think the critiques of that people have had about the fact that she's not a strong female character or whatever don't ring true because you see every side of this character in this movie. You see the loving aunt. You see the woman who regrets the fact that she can't have children. You see the woman who can probably take anybody on the team down given you know enough time to think about it. You see the woman who regrets killing but understands that that's part of what she's given up to become a hero. I mean, like, all these different sides of this person – to say that that's a person who is under underutilized, underdeveloped, or or whatever the critique is, like I I don't know, I just don't see it. The one thing yeah. I wanted to say that the one thing I missed that they they I I don't see how they could have done it in the, in this in the movies, but one thing the cartoon does is they make her the only one that can hold all four gems successfully. Yeah. And I really loved that. I mean, I really loved that. Like they, they said it's because of her training, her you know, her acumen and everything. That's why yeah. she's able to do it. And it, I would like for her. I mean, I know it makes it happen. Lifted, she never it, lifted the. She never lifted the 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 hammer. So we, you know, I I think that that would have. I wish they somehow could pass it to her. The gem to her, then then it could have gone to into vision, but I get why not. But 
I kind of liked how they how the how the cartoon gave that power to her. Well, you know, because post Ragnarok, she could end up with it because that's what happens in the comic in an alternate comic timeline. So, I yeah. think I think maybe one of the reasons why the character of Black Widow in this movie has come under such scrutiny is also because she is like, aside from Scarlet Witch, she is the only girl on the team. She's the only woman on the team. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, especially female fans watching it, pin a lot onto that character. Yeah. And if they feel as though she's done something that they don't like or something that like that they take the character in a direction that they don't like, then it's even more of like it's much more of a letdown than if, you know, like one of the male characters did something, I think. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. I, I think Scarlet Witch honestly gets the short end of the stick. Her and Quicksilver of all yes. the characters get the short end of the stick in the movie. And I think that's one of the failings. Quicksilver in particular, um, from what Whedon said, had a lot of stuff cut out of the movie. Um, I think his character in this movie is, to me, and that's the other thing I've heard is that, oh, the, the Quicksilver in Days of Future Past, the X-Men movie, was way better. I agree the one set piece that Quicksilver was in in Days of Future Past was better. Yes. I like the character better in this um, but that, but it doesn't matter because he's. Well, not in that Days of Future Past, though, he's too fat. He's like indestructible because he's so fast, right? Yeah. And and in this, it's just he's. There's humanity there, so which is not in the other character. That's just my opinion of the two. Yeah, there's some more limitations yeah. to him. Like yeah. as far as the whole thing, especially later with Hawkeye shooting the the bullet up and him seeing the bullet going up, but he's not at that point. There's nothing he can do. He's gonna fall through the glass. Now, can we discuss Helen Cho for a second? Sure. Please. Yes. Uh, so in, in comic books, Helen Cho is not a character that you get to see anywhere but on the telephone, I think is a fair way to put it, right? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she is, in comic books, she is the uh, mother of Amadeus Cho, who is at various times the seventh, eighth, and ninth smartest man in the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. Depending uh, on the, the day. <laughs> on the thing of the day, in, in the animated series, he's also the Iron Spider, by the way. So for people who are familiar with the, uh, the various animated series that are currently on television. Um, he is, during Planet Hulk, and uh, he was the only person trying to clear the Hulk's name, and then he is the person who probably single-handedly manages to pull the Hulk back from destroying the Earth during World War Hulk. Just so people understand where he is. So he's he is someone who is on Hulk and Banner's side in comic books, as is his one t- as is his traveling buddy, who happens to be the uh, Greek god Hercules, uh, who was also an Avenger. So a lot of questions arise: Is this an opening for Hercules to be in during the Civil War plot? Because uh, during the Civil War plot, uh, Hercules was a very outspoken against the Superhuman Registration Act. I don't think he'll be in Civil War since, as we're speaking, they have announced the cast and he's not in it. Well, uh, but there's, you never know. But yeah. You never know, but right? I think, because I think, I, I think they Infinity heavily, War, though. Well, I think they hinted heavily at a future Hulk movie, and that's not announced yet either. Well, that's what I was about to say. Is like yeah. I think after Infinity War, I think there's a definite possibility you'll see a Hercules or something like that because um, I, I, don't think they've, I don't think they've gotten to the point where they have to address it yet, but you know, Hemsworth... Evans and Downey are not going to stick around a lot, a lot longer than Infinity War, but but we'll we'll see, uh, which is a shame because they're amazing. Yeah, but so Doctor Cho is creating this body for Ultron, and for the first time, Scarlet Witch can actually read what Ultron's trying to do, 
because this body they're creating is synthetic and he's linked to it. And she sees this big destruction that he is going to explode things over the earth. We don't know exactly what, but basically he wants to kill everyone on the earth so that they can evolve. And since Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver were only in this for, you know, getting the Avengers back, getting Tony Stark back, uh, they're not down with the killing everyone on the planet plane. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) And so they decide to leave just at the time that uh, Cap, Hawkeye, and Black Widow show up uh, as Ultron is leaving with the cradle, which leads to this great action scene uh, through the streets of Seoul as Widow tries to get the cradle where this body is being created um, Cap is fighting Ultron, and Hawkeye is trying to fly the Quinjet around. Uh, and the basic end of things is that Cap, Quicksilver, and Scarlet Witch have to save the populace. Widow gets captured. Hawkeye gets the cradle and escapes. Did I miss anything there? That's that's a good way to sum it up. I mean, we don't really have to get into the the nitty gritty of the fight scene for sure. Yeah, it's a good action sequence. People who like the type of action sequences you saw in Winter Soldier, this is that type of action sequence. Yes, not, not Not a big superhero battle, although one of the scenes seems like a scene that's right in uh, the last Star Trek movie. I think it's safe to oh, say. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I could say that. Yeah, I, and that, that would be my other criticism of the movie, is that the action sequences, as opposed to the ones in the first film, which were definitely CGI heavy and a little over the top, um, but Winter Soldier, to me, because they use so much practical in the action sequences, having watched both of them in relative, relatively nearby, uh, wow, the, some of the action sequences here, the CGI just doesn't work. I wonder yeah. if that's uh, 2D, though, versus 3D, Todd. Is that I, the- I had a, so let's talk about it for a second. I, I, did you only see it in 3D or did you see it in 3D and 2D, Ryan? Both. So you saw both. I thought the tr- 3D transfer was absolutely terrible. I thought it dragged and it streaked and it had this high-definition tone that just ruined a lot of the scenes. I think it depends. I saw – so I'm going I'm to see it probably in 3D again the next time I go. So um, I saw it in 3D on a giant screen. And I I went into it expecting exactly what you said, and it were it, it would did not do that for me. I had somebody else who I who saw it in 3D on a regular screen and said that exactly what you said in that. I, it was yeah, 3D. I saw it, and I saw it twice in 3D, and both were on one of each of those screens. Interesting. Okay. Now, now, what was amazing, by the way, was the if if you can see this, by the way, for folks who haven't seen it in a theater with the ETX enhanced sound, you must see it in a theater with the ETX enhanced sound. Because the sound in that theater was absolutely amazing. Oh, which brings me to another thing I, that I don't like about the movie, actually. I, I agree with you, by the way, because I did see it. The, when I saw it on the giant screen, that's what we had. Um, one of the things that I think this movie lacks in comparison to the first one is score. And both Danny Elfin and Brian, what's his name, Ty, Tyson or something like that, who did uh, Dark World. Yeah. They're the two soundtrack people. I'm not, I'm not keen on the music in this. In fact, I, I can't even honestly remember the music in this. That's how unforgettable it is. A lot of people said how like, there's not that you know, rallying moment that was in the first one. And I think that's why. Because in the first one, you had that rallying scores from Silvestri. You know? And you don't have that here. Yeah. 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 I just wanted to mention that the music is it's Danny Elfman and Brian Tyler. 
Tyler. That's I couldn't remember what it yeah. I, I knew it was yeah. something like that, and I just couldn't remember. I didn't write far to write it down. Yep. Oh, and I also wanted to mention in this scene, this is the scene where I get the strongest Tron vibe from uh, from Black Widow because she is on her scooter with her Tron suit, and she's <laughs> grabbing Cap's shield. <laughs> yes. Okay, that has to be intentional, yes? It, I, I, it has to be. Maybe. We don't know. I think, well, if you pay attention, right, so she's got... I, when I was a kid, do you remember the, um, the Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends series? Yeah. Right? Remember the Shocker? And yeah. how the Shocker episode and how every time he's, he gets stronger, he goes, now with more vibro shock power. That's all I could think of with this Scarlet Witch because that was the whole reason for putting the glowy stuff on her screen. Because if you pay attention, her she's not just got guns now. She's got all these shocking abilities that she only had like one-time use things in the first Avengers movie. Now she's got them just endlessly. Yeah. She's got her widow's bite, as yes. they call it in the comics. And those beat sticks... I really like this sequence because it is the most practical of all the 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 fights, even with a uh, an AI Ultron. Which James Spader is Ultron? We haven't talked about much, but what do we think? Okay, um, I will say that this falls squarely into. You can divide up James Spader's career into like eras. <laughs> At this point, you know, there's the teen era where he was kind of the teen bad boy. And then he had his, like, indie film era where he was in Crash and Secretary. And now he's in the era of smartest guy in the room between this and Blacklist and also, to a certain extent, Boston Legal. And I absolutely love this era of James Spader. It makes me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I loved him Is this. I mean, I thought he played... He played different from Tony, but still used some of Tony's mannerisms and things. Um, yeah, I, lo- I loved it. Uh, but so they, they managed to get back to uh, Avengers Tower. Uh, Hawkeye goes off to try and figure out where Natasha is, and Banner and Stark have the cradle thing that Ultron's creating, and they're going to try and shut it down. Except for the fact that Tony... Well, and one thing we skipped, I'm sorry, is that... Ultron cracked open Loki's scepter, and inside was a gemstone that he places on the head of this artificial body, which is very yes. important in the movie and in general. Yeah, it, it's there's a lot that it implies. So, really quick, in the comic books, Vision is created from the original Human Torch's body by Ultron uh, to infiltrate the Avengers. And he, they use the mental patterns of the then-deceased Simon Williams, who later on becomes Wonder Man. It's very confusing, folks. It, um, it is very confusing. And in comic books and the animated series, he does not have a mind gem in his head, just to be clear yeah, to everyone. Has, uh, solar, basically it absorbs sun power and he shoots. Right, he's, he's solar-powered in comic books. That's, that's right. the important thing. Uh, that's, that's what keeps him going. That's his Energizer yep. Bunny. Um, but um, what's confusing here is that putting the mind gym in changes the game a little bit, I think. Because in, in comic books, uh, we discussed Adam Warlock. Now, this is not the gem that Adam Warlock has, but one of the key features of Adam Warlock is that he has the soul gem embedded in his forehead, and mm-hmm. he is also an artificial creature created by another semi-powerful being known as the High Evolutionary, okay? 
and ends up being one of Thanos' three greatest enemies. Uh, in comic books, note the other two, I don't even, one of them we've seen already, and one I don't even think is going to exist in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, right. I think male Captain Marvel, we're pretty sure, is not going to exist in the Marvel Cinematic Correct, yes. <laughs> um, but um, it's unclear now, because if they put the gem in, in, that, in Vision's head, and we know that in comic books, Adam Warlock dies when Thanos defeats him and takes the gem, are we going to just get the same battle twice? This is my biggest concern right now. Right. But I think we had a discussion where earlier where I said I, if I was going to put a gem in a movie, I would actually have Adam Warlock be some kind of protector of the gem in Ragnarok because it, the logic, a logical place for the soul gem to be would be hell. Yeah, right. my, and my, my best guess is that um, we'll have the soul gem and Warlock in Guardians 2 and we'll have the time gem in Ragnarok, but we will find out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this leads to the big to the big uh, reveal of the vision, which is that's who's in the cradle. Thor comes back, activates the um, activates the cradle while the team is basically debating because Tony says, "Well, the only thing that's going to be Ultron is a better Ultron, and we can get it right this time." Bruce and and Bruce looks at him like he's crazy because he is, <laughs> and then does but, it anyway. <laughs> but you got to understand, like like that's their whole relationship, and you got to understand that's what's driving Tony is. I want to create the thing that can let me stop doing what I'm doing in being Iron Man. Like, I don't want to do this anymore, and I don't want my friends to get killed, so I need to create something that is going to stop that. And it's his ego and his fear and all of that wrapped into one. And I think that's, like we said before, the thing that a lot of people are missing as to why he does this again. Thor comes back, slams the hammer on the thing as they're fighting, uh, and charges it and basically says that what's in there is the mind gem, like we just discussed. It's one of the six infinity stones. This is what he learned in the cave. Would have been better if we had learned this through dialogue or something else, but whatever. Um, and this vision shows up. Um, this, this guy comes out of the, and they have taken Jarvis who in another whole subplot, you know, has been basically in the internet keeping Ultron from getting all the other things he could use to destroy the world, like nuclear codes and things like that. Um, but they take Jarvis, stick him, stick his AI functionality in there, which is why it sounds like Paul Bettany. Another reason why it sounds like Paul Bettany is because it is Paul Bettany. Yes. <laughs> uh, and so the vision shows up and I think steals the movie at that point. Yeah. Because Paul Bettany is a great character actor. Uh-huh. Yeah, and if you if you've heard that, like he did an interview with Empire Magazine, um, it's the same podcast where Joss Whedon talks about a lot of this stuff we talked about. Um, he is so excited for this, like he just loved. He dug into the character and read all about it, and talked to Joss Whedon about it, and like he's just so excited for what that character can be going forward. And he's in Civil War. He's already been confirmed for that, and obviously he's going to be in the Infinity War films and you know, going forward. So I think it's going to be great watching him bring that character to life because he, he plays it. It's, it's sort of like what I mentioned to a, to a friend when we were talking about it. It's like, I never envisioned the vision having a British accent or being that guy, but now that he's done it, it's everything I thought it's everything I needed, but didn't know that I needed from a vision. <laughs> I mean, it's so great. Yeah. It, I, I mean, you have to think that for what I love best about the vision in this movie is that there is, zero explanation for any of his powers just none of them right Pretty much the gem, the, that's it 
But other, right, other than the gem, and even that, you don't even know what the mind gem does because it's a mind gem. It, the powers that he exhibits don't make any sense for a mind gem, right? So it, it's just it's great because the things that Vision does in comic books, you just have, are really you have to accept them over the years of reading about the Vision, I think is the best way to put it. And here you, they just gloss over everything. You go, oh, yeah, he can fly and he can do all this great stuff and he's super strong and he can... Put his hands and he could grow a cape. Well, he can't do that in comic books. I don't know where that power <laughs> came from. Um, it, it's clear he's an artificial being. He's got nano things going on. I mean, it's, it's cool. It's a great idea. It's a great way to update the character, actually. I guess my only issue is that the one from Guardians, where it took all four of them again to hold the um, to hold the stone. Mm-hmm. And that, that they can just place it into vision so easily. So remember something that they show us in Guardians is that everyone in all the flashbacks that use a stone and when Ronan uses the stone, they put it into something artificial and he is something artificial. Okay. Right? Yeah. So I, I think that's I think that's the best explanation for it is is that there's something about artificial you know, things being able to hold it and since he isn't really alive. He can hold it, okay. He can hold it, yeah. That was my I, guess as well. I mean, Ultron just picks it up and sticks it in his forehead. Yeah. You know, Ultron well, just stuck it in his own forehead. I didn't really completely understand that part of it, but you know. Yeah. Well, speaking of people picking things up and holding them, uh, <laughs> nobody can decide whether they should trust the Vision or not, and this is where everything pays off from that party scene. Uh, they can't decide that, and the Vision gives a little speech saying, like, I'm not Jarvis, I'm not Ultron, I'm something else in between but we need to go now and we need to stop Ultron and he just picks up Thor's hammer and hands it to him and says, let's go. Which, I don't know about you guys, but that's like the biggest applause moment of the movie uh, both times I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's like, the, it's like the holy cow, it makes sense moment. Yes. You know, so. And, and so this leads to the big action set piece at the end, which is uh, they go to... Sokovia, which is where Ultron is, he's got some sort of plan. They don't know what it is. They go to Sokovia to confront him because they found him because of Natasha. Um, and this is a key point in the argument. Uh, Natasha figures out, I guess, from putting together like bailing wire and bubble gum. No, she... no. Um, Ultron destroys his body. The Ultron Eight destroys Ultron Seven's the yeah. Ultron Seven body. Oh, yeah. Okay. And the head rolls into her kit, into her room, and she disassembles the head. And makes her little transition transistor device or whatever she uses, and communicates it to to Hawkeye. Yeah, yeah. This this is another scene that's been criticized quite a bit because they're like, oh man, now she gets captured, now she has to be rescued and everything. But I just want to point out that um, Widow is someone that likes to let people think that they are winning. Like the whole exchange with with her and Loki in um, in Avengers is proof of that. Not to mention that her very first scene in Avengers is her tied up to a chair and she's talking on the phone, going, "This guy's an idiot. He's giving me everything that I want." And probably by staying there, by choosing not to really seek an escape, but instead trying to communicate with them, she was probably thinking, "Well, I'm back here. I could probably eavesdrop and maybe give them some information." And she did. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, she told him exactly where the where he is. Um, and so the Avengers, including Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, show up at Sokovia and start trying to evacuate the city before their big fight. Novel idea, Man of Steel. 
(laughs) (laughs) And they do so. They manage to evacuate, or at least most of the city, before Ultron catches on and then launches his big master plan, which is he's going to basically tear the city up uh, and turn it into a meteor. So he starts floating the city up. That's what he needed all the vibranium for and some of the other things he's been working on. Uh, In other words, he's going to recreate the meteor striking the Earth that killed the dinosaurs, or at least according to him. Now, I don't, I've, I've heard people criticize, like, oh, that's a terrible plan. I'm like, no, that's exactly what an, a robot who doesn't understand the progression of history and things and wants things to evolve, that's exactly what he would do. Like, that made so much sense to me. Yeah. It didn't make any sense to me either, but I don't really care because, I mean, it was a plan we knew it was going to fail, so. Because he didn't have the A-team with him, so there we go. Yeah, but that's, <laughs> that's the other thing. Like, like, that's the thing is, like, it made perfect sense to me, but like you said, Cheryl, like, it doesn't have to make perfect sense. Like, it's the bad guy. They're going to stop him. It's his plan. It's, 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 I mean, some bad guys have the best plans, plans and they always get failed. Right. Yeah, the, the, this is the scene where uh, we have the all the basic, you know, the big fight sequence. It's like the last 45 minutes of the first movie. Um, it's all the Avengers versus Ultron because Ultron has this little stand in the middle of the church, in the middle of the city. And if he hits that, then the whole city will fall to the ground. Uh, it's Iron Man trying to figure out, okay, how do I stop this city from impacting the Earth and killing thousands, if not millions of people? And the other Avengers trying to save all the people. Again, hint, hint, Man of Steel. And we get back the Avengers helicarrier. Yep, Nick Fury shows up with the helicarrier, which again, yeah. if you watch that episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we explain where that came from. Yeah. Uh, and we get all the people off of Sokovia, which is, that's the thing, is like, a lot of people, and I'm doing it too, have said, well, this is a direct reaction to Man of Steel, and it's not that necessarily, although I'm sure that influenced some of what Joss Whedon was doing while he was shooting. I, it's He's showing this is what heroes do, right? He's showing that these guys are willing to sacrifice their lives for an innocent life because they're heroes. Yep. Um, and it's a very important notion to the whole film because, again, like we said, the whole movie is about, like, what are you, what are you giving up to be the hero? Um, and that's a key point in this in this end sequence, especially between Hawkeye, Quicksilver, and the Scarlet Witch. Yep. Um, partially because they were the only people that Joss Whedon actually had to shoot with for a majority of this shooting sequence. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you guys have read about that, but like basically he showed up to Italy and he, they're like, okay, you've got Jeremy, Aaron Taylor Johnson, and Elizabeth Olsen. He's like, well, what about Downey and those guys? They'll be here eventually, but for the next two weeks, you shoot with these guys. And he was basically said, okay, I guess I'm going to have to write some dialogue for them. <laughs> <laughs> well, it also oh, leads to one of the other funniest moments of the movie when, uh, when Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch go just chasing off and Hawkeye's just kind of left in the dust. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, Haw- nobody would know. <laughs> Hawkeye doesn't really like Pietro. So. Yeah. And there was yeah, more to that. that out. Yeah. Um, but then he has that whole moment where Scarlet Witch is fighting and he's fighting and he gives that speech to her, which to me, like, that's the whole point of the movie is what he says to her, which is like, Hey, it's okay. If you don't want to fight, if you don't want to go out there, I'll send your brother to come get you. You can quit, but I can't watch you during the fight and fight. I'm out here with a bow and arrow fighting robots on a floating city. (laughs) None of this is making any sense. Right. But and I have a, but I have to go out there and do my job. <laughs> right, I have to go out there and do my job, which is to be the hero. But and you can stay here, and that's fine. And I'll send your brother to come get you. But if you walk out that door, you're an Avenger, and you got to fight like an Avenger. And that 
like to me that speech that he gives is the movie that's what the movie is telling you is like some of these people don't want to do that anymore they've decided that even he has decided that as we see at the end of the movie iron man has decided that they don't want to do it anymore but when they're doing it they have to do it they have to be the when you're out there you have to be the hero i think that's getting missed a lot sorry that's my i know i've hammered that point home a lot but yeah, I, I which, think people are missing it. Yeah, and I mean, that was something that was brought up earlier when he has the conversation with Laura back at the farm, and Laura has the comment about, she's like, I look at these guys and, you know, demigods and these just really powerful people, and he's like, and you wonder why they need me, and she's like, no, because I, I'm scared because they do. Yeah, that ultimately they need him to be yeah. the human, the human element mm-hmm. of this, you know? Yep. And we get the great moment where Hulk, uh, where Banner rescues Natasha, um, and rescues is probably the wrong term, and feeds into that whole critique. But I mean, like he comes and lets her out of the cell, and says, "Like, hey, our fight's over. We've already had this conversation with the team. Like, we can run away now." Uh, and she, of course, she can't do that. Like, that's she's chosen not to do that to be the hero, and so she pushes him into a well <laughs> to get the Hulk. <laughs> But, like, she makes the choice, again, to give up. She has that that life that she says she wants right in front of her. She has Banner right in front of her saying, we can run away together and we can live this life, and she chooses not to do it. I teared up a little, not going to (laughs) lie. She did get a kiss, though, before before pushing him in. Yeah, big fighty-fighty, punchy-punchy. Vision stops Ultron from getting in the Internet. Um, You know, they have to blow up. They get all the people off the island blow up the island, uh, but yeah. not before we, we lose a member of the team um, in a great sequence where Hawkeye has to run back um, and try to well, rescue... Why the theory? Say it, and then we'll, we'll go with the theory. Well, so he runs back to go pick up a kid. Ultron's in a, um, in a Quinjet that he's commandeered, and he's strafing the ground, basically. Um, and Hawkeye knows that if he goes to get this kid, he's probably going to get killed. Uh, but he knows he has to do it, so he goes to do it, and then Quicksilver runs in front of him, gets shot, and Quicksilver dies instead. Yes. But the, here's the question. Is he really dead? Yes. Yeah. You say I that mean, now, but is he? <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Like Kevin Feige said it earlier. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, maybe. Because I don't hasn't, buy into hasn't it. Scarlet Witch brought people back to life before? She has, but that's not even the point that I'm trying to make is, is what, what doesn't happen in this movie. We do not see a burial or a statue. Uh, in comic books, every time an Avenger dies, they build a statue. That's a very common theme. They don't do that at all. So that that is missing and it's from comic books and a comic book thing, I don't care what he says at all. It leaves – it's still completely open for him to come back. They, they make a whole point that his power is not so much that he's got super speed but that he's got a heightened metabolism and the bullets all went clean through. No, I, I think he's dead. I don't. I think he, I think he's completely dead, um, because and the reason I say that is because Joss Whedon says he told Aaron Taylor Johnson like the only thing that can bring you back is if some Disney executive says you can't kill this guy, um, you know this these, this is a franchise you cannot kill anybody, um, and they shot it both ways. They shot it as though he came back and he was in that scene at the end with the new team of Avengers, and they shot it with him dead, and the one that's on screen is he's dead. Well, I'll be honest, during this scene, because um, just before Quicksilver gets shot, um, Ultron swoops in and fires off a lot of bullets at, at Bruce and Natasha. 
when she's trying to calm him down. And I thought, I I thought that was going to be the death in the movie. I thought it was going to be Natasha. Just as, because again, it plays into the whole Whedon thing of, oh, they could go off and have a happy life together, but we're going to cut that short. Yeah, and then the last big thing that happens in the in the in the epic fight scene at the end is um, the Hulk launches himself into that Quinjet where Ultron is, uh, throws Quin- throws Ultron <laughs> out the back, um, it, with one of the best Ultron lines in the movie. So. Yeah, even off off camera, Ultron's like, "Oh, come on!" and he gets thrown <laughs> off, which is kind of cool. Um, but you know, then Natasha starts trying to talk him to come back, and uh, and he doesn't. He just leaves in the Quinjet, and we don't. We at the end they say the Quinjet crashed in Fiji, but we don't honestly know where he, where the Hulk is. Yeah, he's well, just gone. We, here's the thing: they wanted it. This was another thing they got changed last minute. Is he wanted to be launching the Hulk into space, like the scene that set up Planet Hulk? Right? He wanted to leave it ambiguous, is what he said. Right, but. You know, leaving it as it is, you know, it's it's a question of what happens in the future. So, but I think here's the important reason why I think they did it this way, is because it takes him off the map for Civil War. Yes, that, that it's honestly because there's no solo movie. It doesn't mean we won't get a solo movie, but right now there's no solo movie on the slate. So having him off the map means that he won't be have to deal with a side thing on that's going to come up in Civil War. So, right, which would be completely unbalancing. So. Yeah, he won't be back until Infinity War. And so, yeah, that's the big fight. It's several months later when we get the postscript in the film, um, which is uh, there's this new Avengers base that's in upstate New York. Avengers um, Compound. Yeah. And and it's significant that it's in upstate New York away from the center of the city, right? Because yes. they've already gone through all this stuff with the Hulk and well, smashing also, up where, where South is Africa. It? What, what was it? It was Woodstock. I don't know. No, it was the why Cap says he's home is because it was the military base where he was originally trained, which was the base that he and Scarlet Witch found oh, Zola yes. at. That's okay. what that's what this location is. There you go. So yeah, so it's it's this base, and it's there's a scene between Cap and Thor and Tony where they make more jokes about picking up the hammer, and Thor says he's going to leave the the mind gem there with Vision because it's safe with the Avengers and with the Vision. Um, but Thor decides he's going to leave. Um, and go investigate the Infinity Stones because what he says is four of them have showed up, which he learns from his vision, which was in the previous movies. And so he's going to go and he is going to investigate this because somebody is manipulating things. And if you saw the first movie or you saw Guardians of the Galaxy, you know who that is. And then if you keep watching this movie, you know who it is. So he leaves and Thor is no longer with the team. Uh, Tony, as he's been trying to do the whole movie, quits the team. Yep. Now, he went about it the wrong way and caused massive global destruction, but at least he gets what he wanted. Yeah, because I think at this point when they were filming, they didn't know if uh, Downey would be coming back at all for anything else. So they wanted to right. give him a send-off so in case he didn't, it wouldn't feel incomplete. Yeah, and a lot of these end scenes were filmed first, not last. So Yes. Yeah, this was among the first stuff that they shot, and you're, you're absolutely correct. They didn't know for sure that he was coming back. They had a pretty good idea, but they didn't know for sure. Um, and so Widow finds out from Nick Fury that, yes, um, you know, the Hulk crashed in Fiji. Um, we don't know exactly where he is. And so we all, the only, really the only people left from the original six are she and Captain America because the Hulk's gone, Thor's gone, Iron Man's gone. We see Hawkeye land back at the farmhouse and drop his bag. So he's decided to give up avenging for, at least for a little while. Um, 
he's back in Captain America Civil War due out next year. Um, Did anyone notice the middle name for Nathaniel? Pietro. Pietro. Yes. Yes. Um, I have I have tons of little things that left to to do, but well, that's, we got to introduce the new team, right? That's right, introduce the new team. Yeah, the, yeah. the the new the, the new Avengers team is uh, War Machine, Don Cheadle, um, the Vision, Scarlet Witch, who we met in this movie, and then the Falcon comes in from Captain America: Winter Soldier, Anthony Mackie's character. So that is the Avengers team that you will see in the aforementioned Captain America: Civil War. Yes, and it it semi makes sense. I mean. First of all, the, the concept of an Avengers compound comes from the uh, original West Coast Avengers comic book, right? And then that same compound is eventually used to train um, – what is it? when It's not Young Avengers. Is it Young Avengers when they do the school that Hank Pym and Tiger run? Uh, Avengers Academy. Avengers Academy. That's what it is. So, uh, you know, so that's that same compound, but it's, it's, that's in L.A. This is, like we said, it's in upstate New York. And that team, by the way, was a team led by Hawkeye that did, in fact, have Rhodey on it, but as Iron Man, not as uh, War Machine. But I don't think, I thought about it, I don't think we're ever going to see, I don't think we'll ever hit a point where we get um, Rhodey becoming Iron Man just because I don't think that they want to have somebody else nece- who isn't Stark being Iron Man in this universe. I don't think it'll play as well for people, even if they do replace uh, Dowdy, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think War Machine is a great character on its his own. He doesn't need to necessarily take on the Iron Man persona. Yeah, it's just that in comic books he, ha- he did. That's, that's, yeah. what that's the whole thing I'm getting at. So I don't think we'll ever get that, you know. And then we'd go on to discuss the final secret scene. Yeah, well, and it's sort of a strange scene, but it's basically... The mid-credit scene is, is Thanos, who you saw at the end of the first movie. Uh, basically, a gauntlet shows up uh, with no Infinity Gems on it, and he says, I'll do it myself, which Kevin Feige has revealed. Um, somebody said, well, we saw a gauntlet in Odin's vault in the first Thor movie. Why are there two of them? And he says, there's one for each hand, which is a pretty logical response when you think about it. <laughs> And it's interesting, right, because we think there's six Infinity Gems, and then they keep playing this number 12, so just saying. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yep. So anyway, uh, so this movie basically sets up, as we've said throughout the whole thing, four different movies. One of them, I think it does a lousy job setting up, by the way. Guess which one that is. Guardians 2. No, because Guardians 2 isn't one that they actually set up in this movie. In my opinion, they don't do any setup for Guardians because they don't know enough to set anything up for it, right? I I think that Civil War is actually not well set up in this movie. Oh, I disagree wholeheartedly. Really? I see. I think Tony, the way Tony and Cap part, it's not. It's they don't have this that same argument that led to it in comic books. But I don't think it's going to be anything like the comic book. I, yeah, I was just expecting them to not part on good terms. No, I think. Them- but I think the whole thing, the whole thing they're going to go for. Um, based on everything I've read and everything I'm hearing, is that it's it's exactly what the conflict in this movie is the conflict in Civil War, which right. is it's just going to carry forward. Yeah, it's Tony wants to find a way so that his friends are not going to die, um, and he wants them to operate under supervision or create something that is going to keep them, you know, from from something. And Cap's going to be like, no, we have to we have to fight, we have to be Avengers. Um, yeah, I just like I said, I just don't feel like they really did anything to really set it up. 
that's, that's you, you know right. like everything else like the black panther stuff like there was a lot of good basis thrown in there even if you don't realize it now you when you when you watch black panther you're going to look back and go oh right and the thor stuff may have been cut but at least through the dialogue you got out of thor the character you can kind of see where all that was leading yeah but right but i i think part of the reason they cut some of that stuff is that movie script hasn't even been written yet and that movie is two or three years away i think two years away yeah, it could be. Like, they're not even starting production on that movie until the end of next year. Yeah, fair. Um, and then, of course, like they, obviously Infinity Gauntlet Part 1 they set up, right? You know, they possibly set up a Hulk movie, possibly set up the Winter Soldier movie, which we because it seems like now that we know that the third, the third Captain America movie is not necessarily tracking down the Winter Soldier, we don't know when that's going to come into play. Oh, he's in it. He he's he plays a big role in, in, oh, does in Civil he? War. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, That's because everyone is in Civil War. Yeah, pretty much. If you see the cast list that was released today, pretty much everybody except for Thor and the Hulk are in Civil War. Yeah, Martin Freeman is in Civil War. <laughs> yeah, playing, sir. I don't know who. They haven't yeah. announced who he's playing yet. There's Every rumors. Avenger from the original team and the new team, except for Thor and Hulk, is in Civil War. Um, they haven't announced it yet, but it's, but Spider-Man is supposedly going to be in it. Black Panther's going to be in it. Like they're all there. Winter Soldier's in it. Thunderbolt Ross is in it <laughs> from the Incredible Hulk movie. So yes. okay. it's, it's, it's jam packed. That's weird that the, the Thunderbolt Ross is in it, yet, yet Hulk is not in it. That seems weird to me. Uh, that, might, too, but, you know. that might be part of the reason. Yeah, who knows? Right. I mean, he could be he could be soliciting Tony to do stuff for him, which happens a lot in comic books. So, yeah. um, and, and happened at the end of that movie. Did yes, it did. Um, I did want to like. I just have like a few other notes. That I figured I'd just run through. Yeah. Uh, the the launch guy in the helicarrier, the guy who's talking about the people. Yeah. Lifeboats. He's the same guy that doesn't want to do anything in the control room during Winter Soldier at the yep. end when Hydra's taking over. Yeah, that's, some, that's people, some people had mistakenly identified him as the uh, video game guy from Avengers. Not the video it, game guy. It's not the video <laughs> game guy. Nope. <laughs> the, I, I did hear that too, but I, I knew it wasn't the video game guy because I remember what the video game guy looked like. Um, I One of the uh, best drop lines by uh, Ultron that probably goes over a lot of people's heads is that invaders create Avengers. Right, because Cap's original superhero team was the Invaders during World mm-hmm. War Two. So uh, that's that's a that's a fun little drop line. I have a, I have a few other things. I don't think anything's. You know, I asked the question: Is is uh, is Ultron really destroyed? Probably not. I would agree with that. I think they definitely left it open to where they could bring him back. In, in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if during Infinity War we see him come back. Maybe not the first one, but definitely during the second one. Yeah. It could be. It could be because Thanos needs people to manipulate and do things for him, and he would yep. be a perfect one for Thanos to use. Also, if Ant Man goes to double, he might yeah. end up useful somewhere in that that category. In comic books, he also fought the Guardians, so it kind of sort of all fits together, you know, yep. to have that to have that whole thing. Um, we did not talk about the uh, the secret appearance of Jocasta in the movie. Yeah. Right, which is which is when um, once Jarvis has become Vision, uh, Iron 
Tony Stark needs another AI for the Iron Man suit, so he goes through some chips that have various names on them. And though he picks Friday, which is named after a uh, AI that he uses in the comic books currently, I think it's currently that he uses Friday, right? Which is kind of like his personal assistant AI right now, because um, but uh, which is like a helper to Jarvis in comic books. Uh, there he uh, has Jocasta on one of the chips, which in comic books Jocasta is technically the wife of Ultron. Yes, I did say the wife of Ultron for people who have no idea what we're talking about. So, Go do your Wikipediaing. Yes, go do your Wikipediaing. I also question that what I really want to happen is, and I know people are not going to want me to say this, but if Thanos does have a throwdown like we think he's going to have with the Vision because it just makes sense, right, mm-hmm. for that gem, um, I really am concerned that the Vision is going to get ripped in two like She-Hulk did to him. Yeah, I think that's definitely possible. Yeah, so I, I think know. people... It's, all, it's all, all very unclear. Yeah. We, we did not see Grey Hulk. Uh, what we saw, what we ended up realizing that we actually saw was concrete-covered Hulk. Yes. Right? Because the last speculation is, would we see, would we see uh, Grey Hulk because he would, the figurine is gray, but it's concrete dust. Um, and was, again, uh, though he didn't speak at all in the movie, this, the Hulk, this time around, all his grunts and groans are actually done by Lou Ferrigno. There you go. So that's for people who are wondering. And people yes. should be asking, because it happens in comic books, is our Scarlet Witch and the Vision going to be in love? They share a look in the movie. They do share a look. She can read his mind. She can yeah. read his mind. <laughs> All right. Uh, we could go on about this movie probably for another two or three hours, but Cheryl would kill us. So we're not going to do would, that. I would not kill you because Tay is not Tay is not Wednesday. Tay is Thursday. I know one thing I want to mention. One last, very last thing. Uh, the entire Stark Tower interior is one big giant set with real staircases and real connections. It is not little individual sets. It's people literally can walk from one room to the other, upstairs, downstairs, across rooms. The far sides, it's that big a set and that big a, that many levels of a set. We, like I said, we could go on about this forever, um, but let's let's rate this. And uh, you know, when you guys run into us in person, you can ask us what things we missed on the show. All right, uh, Cheryl, go ahead and give your rating for Age of Ultron. See, I don't know. Watching the cartoon in tandem with this is really different, so I'd have to go with a four. And that's just because I watched a cartoon tandem. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the movie. I mean, the actors did well. It's just for me, plot-wise, I again, it's just something that I feel because I watched a cartoon tandem. All right. No, that's that's totally fine. Uh, Todd, what about you? I love this movie. Don't get me wrong. I kind of sort of in a lot of ways enjoyed the other one more just because I like the dialogue play a lot more in the first movie I think is something for me you know like Loki is just it's really hard to beat Tom Hiddleston doing Loki despite that this is you know the way Ultron is and I didn't really connect with this Ultron the way obviously like Rachel did and you did um, so for me I'm going to go with um, a four and a half alright fair enough Rachel okay I've been going back and forth on this one a little bit and it's over half a point so and I'm going to actually go with the lower end of it. I'm going to go with four stars for this one. Um, it was right between four and four and a half. But, you know, talking about some of the plot things, like it, especially the Thor subplot with how much that's 
rushed and like how much is cut out clearly. Um, I think that's too big of a weakness for me to give it higher than four stars. But again, there's so much that I enjoy about this movie. There's so much to recommend about it. There's great performances by all the actors. Um, and also in regards to uh, James Spader, I thought I just want to give a shout out to the animators that worked on his face and especially the el- evolution of his features throughout the movie as they go from one Ultron uh, version to another because they just look amazing by the end of it. Like, I mean, it does look like robot James Spader. (laughs) It it really does. um, So yes, four stars from me. Um, I've seen it twice. I'm probably going to see it again, hopefully this week. Yeah, I'm right. I'm actually right there with you. I'm at four stars. So Todd, even though you you said you didn't like it as much as us, you actually are going to give it a little bit higher. Um, yeah. Well, I, mean, I, I, I said I didn't like it as much as the first one. I give the first one a five. I'm pretty sure. So. Oh yeah, no, I'm with you. I I agree. I like the first one um, better. I just I, I I think the first one is like the first time you have a piece of chocolate. You know what I mean? Like it's the first time you're ever going to see that, and you're never going to top that. Um, like the first time in forever. Yeah. There you go. Um, no, I mean, like, I think, I think there's a magic to that first one that is not going to be ever recaptured. Um, and I think while I really enjoyed this and I thought it was great, um, I think the plot things that, you know, they cut, that they trimmed out, um, and the lack of character development for Quicksilver and the things that they did with the Thor subplot that we talked about and the score and like some of those little nitpicky things, like if you're going to give it a five, then those things don't exist. Like I think in, in the first film, all that stuff came together and the same thing in Winter Soldier. Um, I think all those things come together and I think in this, they, they don't. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I, like I had no problems with the storytelling other than, you know, that Thor subplot and some of those things. I think for me, like if the Avengers was, was Buffy, the vampire slayer, Whedon, um, this was Firefly dollhouse serenity. Whedon. It's just a different flavor of the same guy, a little bit darker and a little bit more thematic storytelling than plot heavy storytelling. Um, and I just prefer one. I prefer the Buffy guy to this guy. But I love them both. So, uh, yeah, I think we're all, you know, we're all there. I think we all really liked it, um, but it does have flaws. And I think all the people who, I, I, I think the, the, the problem I have with critics is that they're criticizing the things that went into the, into the making of the movie instead of actually looking at what's in the movie itself. Um, so I, I would wish, I wish people would, would critique it based on what's actually on screen. Uh, but that's a, that's a whole other story. All right, so that is our long review of Avengers: Age of Ultron. Uh, if you guys agree with us, disagree with us, let us know uh, on all the social media and and via email. Uh, leave a review for the show on iTunes, and uh, yeah, that will do it for this week's episode. So uh, until next week, folks, when we will be doing shorter reviews, or else Cheryl will uh, whip us into shape. Uh, for Cheryl, Todd, and Rachel, I'm Ryan, and we'll see you again soon. Go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. Please be a secret door, please be a secret door, please be a secret door. Yay! Who'd be crazy enough to let a German scientist experiment on them in order to protect their country? Elevator's not worth it.